Hi, I'm Eric, also known as v 47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling. Tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? Yes, but you're never going to know that it was tingling because it will have never happened. <laughs> to listen to this show, find us on 4iradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And we have something special this week. It's our complete Patreon series on the unmade Spider-Man films condensed into one podcast for the first time on the main feed. Yes, these are some of our favorite Patreon episodes that I think we ever did. And uh, if you're looking at the timestamp and you're like, wow, this episode's long, it's because it was originally four episodes. That's why uh, these are from like... The beginning of 2020. I think we recorded them in like February of 2020. Um, so, you know, if you hear our voices that we did not know what was to come that year, that's why. Because <laughs> uh, it hadn't happened If we yet, sound yes. jubilant and lively. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also important to bring up because I don't, I don't, th- we're talking about old stuff that had never happened or is happening in the past. But if we reference anything like current or whatever, that's out of date. That's why, because these are uh, episodes are over a year old now, almost two years old now. That's wild. Um, But they are still super fun. I think super relevant because Spider-Man movie news is like all over the place right now. It's that everyone's talking about. Um, And this is all about kind of the history and the lead up to where we are now in the world of Spider-Man movies, right? All the movies that they tried to get off the ground that didn't happen, the ones that were canceled um, that kind of informed like, the the Spider-Man films that we did get. I think it's all really interesting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. These are uh, really well-researched stuff on Derek's part. Um, and so I'm really happy for everybody to hear them. They're really, really incredible episodes. Um, and, and like we said, they're now unlocked for everybody. So enjoy. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Does whatever a spider can Spins a web any size Catches thieves just like flies Look out, here comes the Spider-Man Hello, amazing friends! We are going to be looking at the cancelled and undeveloped Spider-Man movies. There are a lot of them. That's <laughs> why it is a multi-part series. I'm excited. Yes. So Doug has done zero research on this. I'm sure you've heard of things just like through osmosis and through mentions and stuff. Yes. But you're in this blind. I'm basically going to be outlining all the research that I have done, um, <laughs> which consists of like reading articles, reading lots of Wikipedia pages, which there's uh, Wikipedia has a lot of good information, but but uh, interviews and uh, most importantly, a couple of scripts. Oh, boy. 
even to the detriment of my health. So (laughs) (laughs) we're just going to go in chronological order for this first chunk. I'm just going to jump right in, but we're going to be talking about the the early films of the 80s. So this is basically all the movies leading up to that uh, famed James Cameron script that exists. That we've mentioned before. We have mentioned it before because it was very, um, it, it made an impact on the Spider-Man animated series because that show is kind of being launched in the shadow of the movie, like spinning off of the movie and not using the villains that were used in that movie. Mm-hmm. So um, it did have a big influence, but the stuff before that movie is still really fascinating. And you can sort of see some narrative threads that continue from iteration to iteration all the way to the Spider-Man movies that we ended up getting. So the story begins <laughs> in 1982. The first genuine attempt to bring Spider-Man to the big screen was from Roger Corman. Oh. Yes. So uh, he's he's a director who is really well known for like B-movies, um, low-budget movies. But he's also like super beloved in Hollywood because he mentored like tons of directors. Um, I think like uh, like Martin Scorsese, people like that. Oh, like wow. people who Yeah. Like all, all these like kind of top name directors ha- like kind of worked under, under Corman. He was really good about getting you into Hollywood and then letting you go when he saw that you had potential and, and had learned things from him and then becoming like a big name director. And I think he was very happy just doing like low budget uh, Hollywood movies. Oh, <laughs> uh-huh. I like him. <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's Fly, a, he's be a great free, directors. <laughs> <laughs> He was a huge fan of Spider-Man comics and he wanted he he was really passionate about making a movie. So working with Orion Pictures, um, he acquired the rights. Um, hmm. Orion is responsible for movies like The Terminator, Silence of the Lambs, and guess what? Already getting into it, Robocop. Oh no way. <laughs> There's always a Robocop. Reference. There really is. Oh, you know what? This is only going to mean anything to people who listened to our last Spider Bite episode, but I mentioned a magazine cover that an actor in Blade was on that had a Spider-Man headline. It also had a RoboCop headline. Oh my God, of course. Of course. Yep. Yep. Of course. Yep. Everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So um, they commissioned, actually, Stan Lee himself to write the screenplay. Oh, wow. Interestingly. So... Obviously, because of that, the, the the script reportedly is a really faithful adapt, adaptation of Spidey's origin story, since Stanley did write it. It would feature a college-aged Peter Parker fighting to stop Doc Ock and Ooh. avert a nuclear war with Russia. Oh, okay. Well, okay, 1982. <laughs> Very topical, right? Uh, Peter would have had numerous love interests, including Mary Jane and a, quote, sexy KGB agent. Excuse me? Uh-huh. <laughs> that was not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. All right. Yep. Yep. I mean, it is Peter Parker, so women will be throwing themselves at him. Uh huh. And that's that's a common thread in all of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the film's climactic scene would have taken place in downtown New York atop the UN building. Oh, which is a setting we have yet to see in any Spider-Man movie. Yeah, I guess the movies that we've had tend to focus more on keeping him a quote friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Um, despite some of the like larger scale things. So I guess I guess that makes sense, but it's still a New York site, so they could yeah. still do stuff with it. Yeah, it is it's interesting. It is interesting that they haven't done anything with that hmm. yet. Unfortunately, this kind of didn't get off the ground very far. Corman, who was accustomed to working on low budget indie films, like I said, uh, I think Orion felt that he was maybe inequipped to handle something like this ambitious and big budget. Uh-huh. Production was just like delayed over and over. And eventually Orion was like, eh, let's not do this. And they just allowed the rights to expire. Huh. That's that's kind of a bummer way for that to go. 
uh-huh, yep. Um, not the first time it's going to happen like that. <laughs> Studios just, I think they just get cold feet when it's something that they're taking a risk on and they knew that something like this would be really expensive. So, Gosh, yeah. imagine a superhero movie being a risk. I know, it's that weird, like? right? <laughs> it's weird. It's so weird. <laughs> now indie movies are a risk. Yeah, any movie that isn't a superhero yeah. movie is a risk. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, so... You can't turn this into a cinematic universe. You're you you don't have sixteen sequels planned already. Like what? We'll pass. So what are we supposed to do with this movie about <laughs> like a father raising his children? Like that that has no relevance to society now. Could we spin that into <laughs> Hawkeye? Perhaps. Could we get a rewrite on it with Hawkeye? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, the next plan to get a Spider-Man film off the ground was in 1985, when Tobe Hooper of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. Uh, 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 <laughs> uh-huh. Excuse me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I need to process that. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Wow. Okay. Horror directors are going to come up a lot in this. I mean, Sam Raimi was a horror director. Well, so, like, yeah. I think horror directors do a good job with superhero movies. Well, and honestly. high concept stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it I think it makes more sense than like you think off the cuff. Yeah. I mean Doctor Strange, that's a horror guy. Uh Aquaman is a horror guy. And they're like you said, Sam Raimi, so it's not that mm-hmm. strange, I guess. But Texas Chainsaw yeah. seems a it's, little it's extreme. Different. It's yeah, I mean a slasher movie is different than like like a, a devil movie or something, mm-hmm. you know. So So he oh, he was set to direct a film for the Canon group. The this is the one that you were referring to that you saw on the cover. Yes. I resisted all temptation to read that article. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Canon group is another one that's like really would be really well known for like a lot of eighties movies, but not necessarily a lot of good ones. Oh no. But still well known. Like movies like Highlander, uh, the masters of the universe movie, Superman four. Okay. Uh, uh I I get it though. Like I can see it. You see the thread there, the types of movies that they make, uh, and the Death Wish sequels, and one of my favorite movies of all time, Mannequin. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they make an interesting collection of movies. Sure. A Spider-Man movie with them, I'm sure, would have been bad. Uh, and <laughs> we can tell this <laughs> because, reportedly, the canon chiefs just did not understand the concept of Spider-Man at all. Uh, they thought, according to like some people that have worked with them, some directors that have talked about this later on, they said that they thought that Spider-Man was more like a Wolfman story. What? Who were like these actual... people raised? Uh, I mean... Like, I, who... It's... 1985 I is not like 1967, where it's like, right. oh, have you heard of Spider-Man? Right. Right. I'm flummoxed. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. It's weird, right? What? I mean, you know, they're probably... They're probably your... Your, your Hollywood executive types that were only ever... That, you know, just probably got in for the money and got in through connections and actually had like no creative interest in anything. So they probably never read a comic book in their that life. Still like obviously feels like equivalent to being like, so what's this Superman guy all about? Or like, what's this Batman guy all about? Although I guess Batman's yep. a bit more complex, but still like huge names. I'm, <laughs> I, huh. Okay. All right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I want names, but maybe we shouldn't blast these guys. Oh, I had the names, and but they I t- are all guys. I took them out because they're hard to say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not anybody that's, like, recognizable now. I think, like, Canon, Canon and Orion both ended up, like, shutting down for, like, because they went, like, bankrupt. So, like, you know. Because they didn't know what are... Spider-Man was. <laughs> yep. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And they made the Masters of the Universe movie. Like, I, you know. Yeah. So they hired writer Leslie Stevens, who is the creator of The Outer Limits, oh. to 
write the script. The script featured a corporate scientist, which some places speculate was meant to be Doc Ock. He intentionally subjects an ID badge photographer, Peter Parker, to radioactive bombardment, transforming him into a hairy, suicidal, eight-armed monster. Stop. What what Uh are they doing? Uh Uh-huh. This human tarantula refuses to uh, to join the scientist's new master race of mutants, battling a succession of mutations kept in a basement laboratory. What the fuck is this movie? (laughs) I don't, like... How do you get to this point? I'm, I'm <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, like, they literally saw the word Spider Man, and it's just like, ooh, a man and a spider yeah, horror movie. Let's I guess do if it. the framework was like Wolfman, I guess that's how you get to that point. I'm just still like, it's weird to think of a universe where at some point Spider Man went from being like a, a costume superhero comic to being like mm-hmm. a monster movie, and then that's what people know moving forward. I know it wouldn't have erased Spider Man, but what Uh movies reach so many more people (laughs) they spent money getting the rights to the character and then literally would just be a name only like that that's baffling like they could have just made a movie about a man who turns into a spider and that wouldn't have been nobody would have been mad because it's clearly not spider-man you know i would more readily see that movie the man who became a spider than (laughs) spider-man this movie Yeah. Well, luckily, Stan Lee immediately vetoed the concept. Thank you, Stan. He, he was like, this perverts the entire concept of the character. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is funny, though, because that's like basically Man Spider, and this like predates Man Spider yeah. by like 10 years. So Yeah, well, make that your third movie, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Now, this leads us to the next version, um, still owned by Canon, but this new version was to be written by a uh, horror writer, Ted Newsom, and also uh, John Brancanto, who went on to write Terminator 3 and Terminator Salvation. Mm. So not, not, a super, uh, <laughs> not a super great resume there, but uh, revisions were also done by a bunch of other lesser known writers, including Barry Cohen, who would become the creator of the Sabrina the Teenage Witch sitcom. Whoa. Did some rewrites on it. That actually works for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, a guy who's responsible for Sabrina, the Teenage Witch TV show in any way, I think Mm -hmm. actually might get Peter Parker. Actually, yeah. I mean, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting types of people touch these movies. It's so fascinating. So, director was to be Joseph Zito, who had directed successful Chuck Norris films. <laughs> that was That's pretty much what he was most famous for. So, you know, he probably would be good with some of the action and fights, I guess. Are you telling uh, me that we're robbed of a Chuck Norris villain in the Spider-Man <laughs> universe? That would have been interesting. I don't know who he would have been who he would have been good to play like at that time. I mean, in 1985, is Chuck Norris playing like Rhino? Like I don't, I don't know who else they would yeah. put him to be. Yeah, he could be just a really bizarre. Ooh, I hate to even say it, Doc Ock. Give him a dumb haircut and some tentacles, and yeah, I've got think, a weird Chuck would, Norris doctor. <laughs> he would have to. They would only get him on to do like fight sequences, though, and like. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I don't know. That would be weird. That would be funny. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Chuck, yeah. we'll get you in there. <laughs> sure. So, um, interesting. This is the, the, I'll, I'm going to go into the script for this in a little bit, but um, the, the casting, there's a lot of like casting information, or at least like intended casting information mm. that's out there. It's all very interesting. So, Zito had expressed interest in stuntman and stunt coordinator Scott Leva to play Peter Parker. To this day, his only acting credit is one episode of Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine. 
he never really did much acting, but he is very well known for being like a really uh, prolific stunt double and stunt coordinator on X-Men, the animated, or, uh, not animated series, obviously, <laughs> X-Men, the movie. Um, <laughs> I'm so used to saying animated series. Yeah. Stunt coordinator, X-Men, the movie, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, oh. Lois and Clark, and Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, in addition to a bunch of others. Also, also, he already worked for Marvel because he um, he was their guy who would make public appearances as Spider-Man since he could, like, do the stunts. Oh. And I'm going to share this really cool photo with you. He was photographed for uh, a special issue of Amazing Spider-Man um, that was just, like, it, the, its whole gimmick was just, like, cool issue where it's, like, a live-action Peter Parker. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I yeah. see it. It's actually kind of, it's a uh, surprisingly timeless photo. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I like it a lot. I appreciate the thought behind getting a stunt person to do this, but there is a reason <laughs> frequently, not always, because plenty of stunt people are also actors, but there's a reason that like not every like action part is played just by a stunt person. <laughs> Some sure. people are are just good at stunts. <laughs> uh, uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who knows? You know, who knows what his talent was? Um, and, you know, I think it does help that he does look the part. Mm-hmm. That's probably what they were thinking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it, it's an interesting choice. However, their other casting choices are really cool and really fascinating. So for Doc Ock, Zito considered Bob Hoskins. Whoa. Um, uh-huh, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the <laughs> Super Mario Brothers movie, a bunch of oh. other stuff. Bob Hoskins as Doc Ock would have been so good. Wow. I'm going to need a drink. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Uh That is a good – I'm I'm here for the combo. I like that. Yes. Yes. I will say I don't think he would have been good in the version of the script – that I read um, <laughs> just because of Doc, how Doc Ock is written. Though Doc Ock is like shirtless for like a hot second in it. So okay. All right. That no, cool. that's it. I'm sold. That's all I needed. <laughs> I was like trying to think of a way to like incorporate the fact that uh, Bob Hoskins, uh, 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 I, I can't even talk. <laughs> he just needs to have his shirt off. It's a good, it's a good situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. 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 All yep. right. Yep. Oh yeah. boy. Good. Good idea. I'm good fan idea. myself real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's really the best one. I should have saved that for last because the rest of them aren't going to stand up to it. But they're cool. That's all right. I need a cool down. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stan Lee really wanted to play J. Jonah Jameson in the movie. Oh, okay. Actually, mm-hmm. that would that would that would work as long as he can, you know, yell and be grumpy. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And you know, he would have been right at the perfect age for that yeah. at this point too. Yeah. They wanted uh, classic Hollywood leading ladies, Catherine Hepburn or Lauren Bacall to play Aunt May, which would have been really cool. I actually like that idea a lot. And two, like, unnamed roles, though I have a theory for who one of them is, Peter Cushing, as in Grand Moff Tarkin, was going to play a sympathetic scientist. Hmm. Uh Uh-huh. And Adolf Caesar, who is famous for, I think he's done a lot of stage, but he's most famous for the Color Purple movie as a police detective. Hmm. So they were really trying to get, like, solid, like, important Hollywood actors, essentially. Like, well-known, top-tier talent for it. They were not trying to do a B-movie for this, which I appreciate. I think it's a great – or at least, like, Zito wasn't. I think – We'll get into it, but I think there was definitely some. Um, mm, I think there was there is definitely like a, like some tension between like what Zito wanted to do as a director and what Canon wanted the movie to be. Sure. 
um, which, you know, is is what leads to the movie's downfall. And I think part of that is the script, which... uh, (laughs) So, okay, we're going to flash forward a little bit. This script that I'm going to break down, the version of it that exists now is one that went through a bunch of rewrites and actually is credited. The, cur- the current one that you can find online, James Cameron does have a credit on there as a rewrite. Oh. All of the plot elements like match all the reports for what the canon movie was. And based on what I've read, like they were, you know, James Cameron was originally using the canon script. My theory though is I don't actually think he did that many rewrites on it. I think he was just using that to kind of quickly get the movie into development like get it off the ground sure. with a script that already existed and then he'd like make his own scriptment because i also read uh the scriptment that he wrote and it's it's just such a different voice from what the script is and hmm. so vastly different and especially based on everything else that i know of james cameron and have read it from him and about him this script like i see none of him in it so <laughs> if he made so i can't fully say that he's like not to blame <laughs> slash responsible for anything in the script he might have written some of the weird stuff. He might have named a character Wiener. I don't know. But I kind of don't think that he actually had that much of a hand in this one. Okay. That's not to absolve him of any blame. And also, like, the script he did write has uh, problems. But <laughs> this one is 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 kind of – this one is very different. So I'm going to break this down in this section, even though it's technically from the James Cameron era, because I think that – this is pretty much what the canon movie would have been. Okay. And like I said, I read this script, this whole script. It was exhausting. I had to skim through a little bit of it. So this draft basically follows a college-aged Peter attending school with Liz Allen, Flash Thompson, Harry Osborne, and a punk girl described as ripe and hot, hot, hot named Kim. Oh. Uh-huh. Yep. 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 Weird, right? Who's Kim? <laughs> I have no okay. idea. She plays like no role in this other than to be sexy. Oh, cool. All right. Uh, at one point, she, like, <laughs> puts a salamander around her neck, but I think maybe it was supposed to be, like, a fake, like, fashion salamander. I don't fucking know. This script is really confusing, okay. too, and I kind of just had to just stop trying to think through it. So Peter already works at the Daily Bugle in this, uh, in this like, as of the start of the movie. Aunt May and Uncle Ben are characters, but they're not, like, the doting and old versions of them. They're They're still, like... They're not hip or anything, but they're they're in their 60s. They're kind of more typical aunt and uncles rather than, like, grandma and grandpa. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they're kind of bossy and sarcastic. Ben, at one point, like, offers Peter a beer while he's, like, on the recliner watching oh. baseball. <laughs> yeah. So, like, they're not, they're not your typical Aunt May and, and Uncle Ben. Also, so I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but May, like, really wants to get Peter laid in this script. Oh. Like, She's always talking to him about girls. She talks to, like, his love interest and tries to talk her into getting with him. And there's a point when, right after Peter gets bit by the spider, he calls Aunt May because he's kind of freaking out. And she, like, mis- there's this whole, like, stupid misunderstanding over the phone where he's like, something happened to me. And Aunt May's like, does this have to do with that girl we talked about over dinner? And Peter's like, no, no, no. I, I, was, I, was, bitten. I was bitten by a bug. And she's like, oh, you, you mean the love bug. Oh, no. <laughs> and then she's like, no, I got bit by a spider. And she's like, she bit you? And then the best part, Peter says, oh, no, I was in my I was in my bathroom, Anne. And then Aunt May says, oh, you did it in your bathroom? Peter, this is craziness. Why don't you just use your bed? Oh, my God. <laughs> what uh, is this, Aunt May? <laughs> I, I like I can't even think of an Aunt May that we've discussed that comes close to this. Uh-huh. I know. I know. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. 
She's like she's like the Marissa Tomei Aunt May if she was like really oblivious and like really horny. Like it's it's yeah. I mean I'm, I mean Marissa Tomei's Aunt May is also horny, but like not on Peter's behalf. But Marissa so like... Tomei's Aunt May is sort of like the I know I'm an uncool aunt aunt, and that's what makes me cool. Like it and. And that's, that's why true. I think she could get away with saying similar things because she's like making fun of the situation. Yeah. This does not sound like an Aunt May that's making fun of the situation. <laughs> no, she's, they still try to play her as like legitimately oblivious is, is what's weird. So. Oy, yeah. Yoy. Yeah. This is like yeah, she... uh, Golden Girls Aunt May. <laughs> Actually, maybe that's what they were going for. You put it, now that you put it that way, I'm not. I'm actually a little <laughs> into it. <laughs> oh man! Like Blanche is Peter's aunt. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. All right. I'm in. You've sold me on this movie. <laughs> okay. Never mind. Well, I have many, many, many more things to uh, to sell you on. Oh God! For example, Peter's teacher is Doctor Otto Octavius. Of course. And he is. Wacky as fuck. Uh, um, a huge ham. He's this super obsessive, like, hammy dude who, God, his catchphrase is okie dokie. Why does he have a catchphrase? I don't know, but he says it a lot. He says it a lot, including in ostensibly dramatic scenes. Does he say it? So he says it while he's Doc Ock as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He doesn't change at all when he becomes Doc Ock. He's like exactly the same. See, because I could see if they, okay, I could see a situation where Bob Hoskins is playing a sort of like spectacular uh Otto and has some of those weird quirks and mm-hmm. then they drop them <laughs> when he becomes Doc Ock, similarly to Spectacular's Doc Ock, but- I what no he doesn't no. change at all because I I would be on board with like quirky weird Otto Octavius Bob Hoskins mm-hmm hmm not when he's trying to be evil though no no then it's weird no then I will he needs say to be aggressive and sexy yes 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 well actually no I'll save that for later so yeah <laughs> so he says okie dokie a lot he's kind of an asshole right from the start hmm. he has a buff dumb hulking assistant named Wiener. <laughs> Maybe it's supposed to be pronounced like Weiner or Viner, but it's literally the word Wiener, so I'm going to call him Wiener. Yeah, I bet it's supposed to be Wiener. <laughs> I bet it is. <laughs> Probably so. Yeah, and and uh, Ock insults Wiener all the time. His primary goal is to perfect something called a cyclotron, which, depending on the version of the script you read, is either all about anti-gravity or it's about a fifth force. Like, in oh. addition to, like, gravitational, electromagnetic, strong, and weak nuclear, it was going to be, like, the fifth force in addition to that. Huh. In the version that I read, it's something called an anti-force, which, like, vaguely is said to open a portal to another dimension Hmm. and causes weird stuff to happen in reality. But it's like none of it, like not like literally like I'm stepping into a parallel universe. It's more just like the vague outer dimension that like sheds reality or whatever. There's a ton of like techno babble. And he explains a lot of this, like in the classroom to his students. They're like, that sounds like it's going to destroy the world. And he's like, Yep, and it's science, and nobody like questions it. So, do you get the impression that this is supposed to be a character that we are like that's on our radar as this is the bad guy type of thing, and we're not really ever supposed to be sympathetic towards yes. him? Oh, he is not sympathetic one bit. He is uh... never sympathetic. And honestly, the tone of this movie is is hard to pin down. Like, it's hard to get tones of movies from scripts sure. in general, but like for this one, it really is like 
weirdly playful in a way like <laughs> that I didn't expect, like, which, you know, it's fine, I guess. But like, it's like to a point where like nothing makes any sense. Like, I don't really get I guess it's supposed to just be like fun and not taken too seriously. Hmm. And a lot of weird stuff happens. But like, I don't know, it just it also just doesn't really like line up with anything like it doesn't it, i don't know it doesn't work when you're reading it sure. because then when any serious emotional moments happen they don't play but you know that could be different when you see it visualized on screen yeah. so who knows who knows what they would have been going for huh. so yeah so um he also like he uses his like tentacles in science experiments just like classic doc Ock. however throughout all of this he insists on calling them waldos which is apparently like a common nickname for like remote manipulator devices. Oh. Like those robot arms you see in factories are huh. nicknamed Waldos based on some short story forever ago. I didn't um, know that. I didn't either, but it is silly when Doc Ock is saying okie dokie and is like, my Waldos, call them Waldos. Like, yeah. Oh, he's like insisting other people call uh-huh. them Waldos. <laughs> yep, he is. How annoying. <laughs> yep, he's uh, he's just kind of an annoying character. Oh, that's so upsetting. Don't do that it's to a Bob. <laughs> yeah, it's a bummer. I know, right? But I feel like Bob wouldn't have done this movie honestly no, I know. <laughs> well i'll just imagine a universe where this isn't the the bob hoskins doc ock but there is a universe with a bob hoskins doc ock sure. that's the universe mm-hmm. i'll live in i will say if you want to imagine somebody in this role when this was passed down to cameron with the script they wanted to get uh arnold schwarzenegger to play stop, doc ock stop it would have been terrible, but for this version of Doc Ock, if he, like, did the – I know he wasn't there yet in his career, but if he had done, like, the kind of Mr. Freeze hamminess, yeah. I could 100% see what they're doing, like, see him written in this way. Hmm. <sighs> so strange. Yeah, yeah. Not good, but, you know, <laughs> uh, they, were, they were doing something, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Somebody would have fit the role, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Now, what is interesting is that this is, like – this is very much a Doc Ock movie, even though he doesn't really go through an arc. He's in – a ton of it. Um, in fact, he's the first character you meet right at the opening of the opening of the movie is literally just about him, like oh. beginning his science experiment. Like that's what happens directly after the credits. Hmm. The biggest relationship that he has isn't even between him and Peter. It's like this antagonistic relationship he has with the uh, with this guy named Roz, who's his who's a fellow scientist who was also his mentor, and he's like the science chair of the college who like is trying to keep Otto from getting fired for his like, crazy science experiments on the campus, um, but also, like, recognizes that he's crazy. And, like, they have, like, actually, this guy Roz ends up having more of an arc than any other movie, any other character in the movie. He's the character I think was supposed to be played by Peter Cushing because he's a sympathetic scientist. Hmm. It's an odd choice because, really, Peter doesn't get that much of an arc in this movie, to be honest. It's very strange. Now, do we think it's Roz or Rage? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, not that again. <laughs> that is really weird, though. Uh-huh. That's really strange that sort of like the main story isn't even the hero of the story. Yeah. And that they would add like a whole separate sympathetic character to be the one clashing with the antagonist. Right. It's it's so strange. And it's not he's not in a ton of the like P- the Peter Cushing character. I assume the Peter Cushing character. He's not in a ton of the movie, but all of his scenes are like really vital. Like he shows hmm. up repeatedly. He gets the big emotional moment in the climax. Like it's really strange. And it's like all the stuff that should have been part of Peter Parker's character gets stripped away for this character. And I don't I don't understand what the thought process is with that. Yeah, this is not maximizing uh, the Peter Otto Octavius relationship that other media has now nailed. Especially because they have him as Peter's teacher. Like, yeah. they could have easily had a mentor relationship, and they didn't. It's very strange. Uh, thanks. I hate it now. Uh, you should. Uh, <laughs> you didn't have to read it. So. 
<laughs> I know nobody forced you to do this. I totally I played myself when I when I chose to do this. I'm I'm so glad you did though. <laughs> um so you know the college admins don't like Ock because of his kooky attitude and he's always angry and doing crazy experiments but they're like he's a fragile genius and he'll win us awards if we let him do his work Gag. so Ock's main thing is that he's actually jealous of Peter Parker because Peter worked with another scientist at the college to write this like amazing science paper that's going to get published it contains information about like the planets aligning that's for some reason vital to the cyclotron I don't know but oh. Either way, he wants Peter's research for himself, uh, but Peter won't let anyone else see it because, you know, it's his own research that's going to get published. So that's kind of their main beef right off the bat. Hmm. That's... Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess it's not like if he's already sort of full Doc Ock, and he almost is. Yeah. That's not that that strange, I suppose. It is strange, but I I get it. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, It's very vital to the story, as we'll see shortly. Ock does try to get his cyclotron working even without Peter's research. And that's when a spider happens to get caught into like his anti-force ray or whatever oh, it God. is. I forgot uh-huh. that we aren't even at the Spider-Man part. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Uncle Ben doesn't die for a very long time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this movie is is paced. I don't know where Act 1, 2, and 3 is in this movie whatsoever. Oh, no. This is like so many people's nightmare. The fa- I mean, no one wants to see Ben die over and over. But the fact that like the origin story is this long. <laughs> uh-huh. 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 Yikes. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, the spider gets imbued with, like, super dimensional gravitational energy or whatever it is. Um, oh, God. Here's the kicker why I say this is more of a knock movie. It lands on Doc Ock first and bites him first. Excuse me? Uh-huh. He gets bitten by the spider. That's not all. Then his experiment explodes right after he's bitten, bitten by the spider and presumably, like, mutating. He yells, Okie dokie, as it explodes. That doesn't even make sense. Nope. Oh, that's, that's not, what, that's not, I, <laughs> nope, that's not even the worst of the Okie Dokies. Why, um, why, uh-huh. why did they decide <laughs> that that was a, a, a crucial part of this character's whole characterization? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's not even funny. <laughs> yep. Nope. It's not. It's not funny at all. It's nonsensical. The spider bite and the explosion together i guess is what causes his tentacles to be grafted onto his back however however one cool thing about this movie that i would have loved to have seen represented on screen if they had the correct budget to pull it off is that what this like crazy cyclotron thing does since it's basically like bending reality is that like after it goes off it causes all reality in its vicinity to be warped so like they describe just the area as looking like a dolly painting so like mirrors turn into like funhouse mirrors there's just random ripples on the wall and that's an effect that comes up multiple times in this movie so that's a cool idea yeah i mean when you said that the spider itself was imbued with the sort of like reality warping effects or whatever like that i am intrigued by um Mm -hmm. i know it's like a radioactive spider radioactive spider blood whatever but i do think that would be a cool exploration and sort of spin on the spider bite and the spider powers and stuff like that sure sure not that spider-man needs to be able to like like dimension hop or anything but yeah uh interesting interesting way to get to that point it is i mean there's so much there's there definitely like somebody got really excited about reading about gravity at one point and they're just like (laughs) throwing in all these science words that make no like there's no genetic engineering stuff in this it's all wow electromagnetism Hmm. and gravitational forces and stuff and nuclear and toxic waste and stuff like that of course there's toxic waste (laughs) yes yes 
So uh, this explosion happens on his lab on campus. So Peter and his friends are there. Jameson shows up, can't get in, can't get information from the cops. So he's like, Peter, you're a student. Why don't you investigate the explosion? So mm. Peter makes it into the lab, takes photos. He sees Doc Ock with fused tentacles being carried away on a stretcher. Finally, the spider bites him. In his case, like he's woozy for a second and then he immediately has all of his powers. Like he like walks out. And then he just, like, jumps, and he's like, wow, I can climb buildings now. Like, there's no real dramatic effect for it. It just happens. That's a really complicated way to get Peter Parker, who is already a student of (laughs) Dr. Octopus, into the room in which he gets bit by the spider that Dr. Octopus just accidentally created. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. 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 I bet they could have chopped 15 minutes if they just put Peter in the room. (laughs) This script went through so many freaking rewrites before the one that I read, so, like, I don't get it. But, you know, (laughs) yeah. I don't like that we are robbed of the sort of like what's happening to me uh, moment because that always plays pretty well. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, we will get it in the James Cameron script. So don't you worry. And it is a doozy. Oh, I don't want it in his script based on the (laughs) little bit that I know. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I think you might like it. Oh, boy. (laughs) So uh, in this version, when he's uh, practicing his powers in public, he is noticed by a rep from MTV who is like, hey, do you want to like participate in MTV wrestling? And Peter's like, sure, bro. And MTV gives him a pre-made Spider-Man suit. Like they give him the Spider-Man suit. (laughs) They give him the Spider-Man identity. This rep knows all about his his identity now, Uh I guess. They don't touch on that later, but, you know, they invent Spider-Man. Wow. Yep, yep, yep. In the meantime, we get lots of scenes of Ock, like, I'm going to conduct my experiment, even though I'm, like, I'm turned into a monster. It doesn't matter. I'm going to conduct my experiment. So he leaves the (laughs) hospital. And this is actually really similar to Spider-Man 2, where he's, like, so obsessed with rebuilding his experiment that he starts, like, stealing money to to like get parts um, mm-hmm. to, to rebuild a cyclotron. He also calls his Waldos and equipment my babies repeatedly. Okay. At another point, Flash dresses as Spider-Man at a Halloween party. So cool reference. What? Um, uh, okay. He just does. Like he's just dressed as a Spider-Man because you know, Flash Forward, Spider-Man's popular because of MTV now and everybody oh. loves MTV. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so Spider-Man's popular because he is an MTV wrestler? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Yeah. He hasn't, he hasn't really done much crime fighting yet okay. at all, if at all. Uh-huh. That's, uh-huh. hmm. I, I have said that one of my favorite things about Flash is how much he loves Spider-Man. In this case, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. Remember, Uncle Ben hasn't died yet. How? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, speaking of, while Peter's at this party, he, he, he shows up as real Spider-Man. Is like, hey, Flash, you're dressed as Spider-Man. This is crazy. Whoa. I, I don't know. It's dumb. But then his spider yeah, sense goes. that's so unnecessary. That's so much uh, added content. <laughs> there's a lot of that in this movie. Uh. <laughs> then his spider sense goes off, telling him that there's trouble with Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Like, that's what his spider sense tells him. Oh. So he had, it's basically like a psychic sense, kind of like yeah. Spider-Man, I guess, in this case. So he does not have his web shooters yet, and it does not have organic webbing. So he gets a cab ride in his costume <laughs> to get back to Aunt May and Uncle Ben's place as soon as possible. 
Uh, does that even make sense? Like, is that even funny without context? I guess it could be funny, but like, yeah, if this is the first Spider-Man movie ever, you don't necessarily know that he has web shooters if you're not familiar with the character. Right. Like, like Peter B. Parker taking the bus is funny because you know he has web shooters. Like, mm-hmm. Spider-Man in the PS4 game taking the subway is funny because you know you can swing across the city. Like, what? Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> That's like relies way too much on the meta for that to work. <laughs> it, does. it does. It does. It does. I mean, I guess if if this is really supposed to be kind of a silly action comedy where it's just a bunch of like antics and shenanigans happens and it's just like a lot of silly stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. I guess I see it. I guess I guess that's that's really the vibe that they're going for because it doesn't make sense otherwise. Yeah, I guess I have to change my scope a little bit. Yeah, it was hard for me reading through it, especially because I, I actually I should have read this one first. I read this after reading the Cameron script, Cameron mm-hmm. script, which is mm-hmm. a lot darker and like this. And so it, it's really hard to like tune to what this movie is supposed <laughs> to be trying to do. Because it is, it's. I think it's just a com. It's a comedy script. I think that's the only way you can read it. Honestly, huh. weird. It's very weird. But the reason that his spider sense is going off is because someone has broken into uh, May and Ben's house. Mm. This person is Wiener, looking for Peter's data, seeing if Peter happened to store it at that house. Ben thinks that it's doesn't know who it is, so he just gets a rifle to fend off whoever the the burglar is. The two wrestle in the dark, and Ben is accidentally shot while they are wrestling. Uh, so Ben is accidentally killed by a man named Wiener. Who is like a teaching assistant. Who is a teaching assistant. To For Dr. Peter. <laughs> yeah. So. Huh. Yep. Um, yeah. So the rest is pretty much normal. Peter chases him down just, you know, like like he does in any other version, except he doesn't really have, like, guilt over it. Like, yeah. like in the same – it's not like a villain that he let go. Like, you could argue that he would be guilty because Uncle Ben got killed because they're searching for his research. Mm. But, like, it's not reflected in the script at all. Peter doesn't really ruminate on it. Honestly, like, Uncle Ben's death has really zero impact on this – movie at all it's just like put in there because that's a thing that happens in spider-man's origin story it doesn't actually propel anything there's like it's so clear to me that there were just like vast misunderstandings of the significant points of peter parker's story like Mm -hmm. they see what the the significant events are but Mm -hmm. they don't understand the significance of those events Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh boy exactly exactly all right so we're getting there. We're getting there. So, <laughs> well, we're two and a half hours into this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Right. I know. So at uh, so after that, at, at some point, Ock attacks Liz, trying to see if she knows where Peter's data is. Um, she escapes by shoving his tentacle into an electrical socket. Okay. Then Ock, I don't understand how this works, but in the script, it says he's cartwheeling after her. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately had an image and I it's, it's not good. <laughs> I think that's what it meant. If again, if this is just supposed to be like a slapstick comedy, uh, I guess it works. I mean, what I guess like what else was happening at the moment? Like when did Super Mario Brothers come out? Is that, that why was Bob 90, Hoskins was on that there? That was 92. So this oh. is before that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think he's only hmm. doing like serious b- movies right now. Like I don't think he's doing what? Funny kids comedies, you know? Yeah, because Roger Rabbit wouldn't have happened for another few years. Yeah, I think so. Uh, had Ghostbusters happened? When was the first Ghostbusters? Um, wasn't that wasn't like Ghostbusters 86? 80... Mm, I thought I... it was a, a couple years earlier than that. Okay. But 
Hmm. So I guess maybe they're trying – they could be trying to go for a Ghostbusters kind of vibe maybe. I'm just trying to think like if this is a, a property that isn't yet like a – like considered like, oh, we have – we've got the Spider-Man film. Like this is a huge deal. Like mm-hmm. what are they trying to mimic or what was happening that they thought they could tap into with this property? That's that's – I don't know because they, we've, they've already had four Superman movies. Like it's not like a superhero movie was non-existent. Um, granted, the S- Superman movies got progressively more silly. Sure. But they never were like full-on comedies, you know? So – This would have also I mean, predated Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah. So I think it, they just didn't – maybe – I don't know. What a weird window for this to exist in. It's, it is a weird window because there really isn't a lot of context for us. Yeah. For it. I mean, then again, like they got Richard Pryor in Superman 3. So maybe they were kind of on that same wavelength mm. where they're like, superheroes are silly. So we should just double yeah. down on the silliness, right? I guess. Yeah. I guess if that's the last thing that was sort of in the cultural consciousness as far as superhero movies go, mm-hmm. some of this makes sense. I guess so. It's still, it's it's not a it's not a well-written script anyway. Like all the dialogue is really bad. So <laughs> it's just not a, you know, and I say that like you have to read scripts of any kind on a curve because scripts sure. are always really hard to get a good read but like it's not fun to read this one because it's just really kind of clunkily and poorly written uh there are there are a couple of standout moments though like i actually liz is a weird character who goes back and forth a lot like oh i guess oh she's not paying attention to peter oh now she likes him for some reason i don't know Hmm. but they do try to write her as like kind of a lois laney type of character where she's like doesn't want to really be rescued by the dude and like she tries to fend for herself and and she you know she participates in the action actually pretty substantially um so that's pretty cool she's damselly but not not as damselly as like a lot of other characters are so spunky damsel she's she's spunky spunky is the perfect word for it they were very much going for that vibe there's one point where like after when you know she's being chased by ock and spidey rescues her or he goes to like pick her up um oh by the way he just randomly gets his web shooters and they don't explain where they come from Uh... starts having them (laughs) i i really was like did i just miss it when i was reading because by this point in the script i'm like dying and i'm reading as fast as i can but i even did like like i tried to like control f it and I could not find a point where they say, here are my web shooters now. So That's the easiest thing to add to the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Peter made web shooters. Uh-huh. The end. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Anyway, he has them now, and so he goes cool. to like grab Liz to swing away with her. There is a fu- it's a funny um it's a funny exchange because Liz says, "What do you think you're doing?" Spider Man says, "I'm rescuing you," and then he go- and he like swings away with her, and she says, "Thanks, but no." <laughs> I like, I like that. that bit. I like that bit a lot. Actually, uh-huh. I think that's good. Um, I think I would have liked Liz if they kept her the same but changed everything around her. <laughs> yeah, she sounds like something I could very much be behind on this in this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. she seems fun. Yeah, yeah. So Aunt May and Liz, like I said, they kind of have a moment where they're talking about Peter liking her, but he doesn't notice her. And Aunt, and, and Aunt May is like, he's Peter is hiding, but he just wants to be found. And they try to be very profound, and it's really bad. And <laughs> I just, it, it ends on this, like, really dramatic, like, Liz is leaving Aunt May, and Aunt May is like, wait, Liz, remember. And Liz, like, turns around, and Aunt May says, finders keepers, losers weepers. And the scene ends. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Especially because they, like, it's ew the whole way through. But the uh-huh. fact that they they left the losers weepers on there as if you didn't get it with the first part. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know, like, I know. Like, uh, uh. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, we're almost there. We're almost there. Okay. Okay. Um, this is so, wonderful. I'm, I'm so glad that the script exists to be found. 
I know. Uh, I think we need these types of things to really appreciate what we have. <laughs> I know. Yep. And and to understand, like, it's a miracle that any movie gets made and is any good. <laughs> They're so always true. just teetering on the edge of disaster <laughs> at every stage. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> so, fuck all that. Ock eventually activates his cyclotron again. It fucks with New York. It's a really psychedelic sequence where a subway train like teleports through a rippling wall in somebody's apartment. Yes, it into sounds it. Really, sounds really cool. Spidey goes after him. Um, and then Ock escapes by jumping into a Corvette and driving away. So Spidey uh, sees Flash and Liz in a car, jumps into their car, and there's a car chase. <sighs> I what? This movie has stunned me so many times. <laughs> and it continues to stun me. I uh-huh. this oh yeah, it has to be a comedy. It has to be. There's it, it no other way for it to exist. There's yeah. no other way to justify Doc Ock jumping in a car and driving away. It simply cannot uh-huh. exist any other way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Eventually, they catch up or something. At some point, Ock drops Spidey down a toxic waste well. I don't know what that is, but he can't climb up because of the spine or uh, slime. He's out of web fluid. Um, but then that's when that Roz guy, Peter Cushing's character, comes in and he's like tries to save. He, oh, Flash and Liz are also there. Uh, he, <laughs> of course. He, yeah. Um, he tries to he he like tries to appeal to Otto because he knows him because he was his mentor and he's like. He tricks him to be like, Otto, you should go and finish your experiment and use Flash and Liz as your assistants. So, like, basically offers them up, which sucks. So Otto takes them away um, and Roz is able to rescue Spider-Man. And he, they eventually catch up to Otto where Flash and Liz are there being forced to help him with his experiment. Uh, Otto tries to tempt Roz into, like, joining him and being like, you're a great scientist, too. You appreciate science. Science is so important. And Roz is like, I understand. And, you know, I taught you. I know I know how smart you are. I know you're a genius. And they have, like, this moment. And then he has to, like, he, like, dramatically decides that, like, no, but this is too much. This is not how I want this is not how I treat science. This is not how I want it to go. So he chops off one of Ox Waldo's with a fire axe. Oh, and a fire Spider- axe? Oh, like a, a fire uh, axe. like a firefighter's axe. Firefight, not an, not, a, not an axe covered in fire. I, a firefighter's oh, axe. man. I was like, <laughs> all right, we are peak right now. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, he chops off one of the Waldos to save Spidey during a fight. And then, like, this is the cyclotron activates and, like, he falls into, like, a portal or through rubble or whatever and <laughs> dies sacrificing himself. Falls so into this the dude... Phantom Zone. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, so this dude, Roz, like, had the, the only arc in the movie, <laughs> so basically. Th- it's so weird to me that Roz is the actual hero of this movie and Spider-Man <laughs> seems to be able to accomplish nothing other uh-huh. than be on MTV. Uh-huh, pretty much, pretty much. Also, Harry is kind of in the movie. He disappears for a long time. They just pops up periodically whenever action's going on and Peter finds a payphone and calls him because Harry is just a, a vague science geek and kind of a wiener, just oh. like in the 90s show, except well, a science geek. Well, there's already a wiener. There's no place for Harry. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. So sometimes he'll call Harry and be like, Harry, do some science things. And Harry does some science things. And it's like, oh, no, the detonator is going to go off in 10 minutes. Wait. But he doesn't. So not yeah. only, not only. Does Peter not have his origin story? Any sort of semblance of, like, explanation for where his web shooters come from? A victory over Doc Ock. He also doesn't 
even get to be the scientist? <laughs> like <laughs> Harry he, does he, his science yeah. for him? Like he is a scientist and he'll say sciencey things to Harry. So it's not like he's like dumb or anything, but like he needs a, sci- a an assistant to do it on the computer basically. Like he needs a lot of Oh, help Harry's people. a hacker. <laughs> not really. I mean, he's still I guess I guess they were trying to go in that direction cuz he's yeah, he's just on the computer all the time. Huh. I don't know. It's weird. Harry's Who kind is of a Peter nothing. Parker in this movie. Good question. <laughs> Who is really most characters in this movie? Honestly, true. Uh, um, Flash gets away somehow. I don't even remember how that happens, but it ends up with Liz and Spidey in the building where like the dimensional hole is opened by the cyclotron, sucking a bunch of stuff in. It's basically like this giant like reality bending whirlwind. I guess hmm. it causes the building to start floating in the air and just perpetually go higher and higher. And Ock, instead of, like, having a huge fight sequence with him, Ock is just, like, so happy that his experiment worked that he just walks into the light, is what they call it. I guess just going into this dimensional warp or whatever. His last lines of the movie are, Okie dokie. Stop. It's now, so bad. Mm-mm-mm. Now that's what I call an experiment. No. No. They made it worse. Uh-huh. How did they make it worse? You, they made it worse. You know what this movie smacks of? Hmm. It's it's like a bunch of people in a room trying to figure out how to make a movie they don't have the ability to make yet. Because, like, there's so many things that I feel like they're writing around. Like, the, yeah. cars, the car chase should be Doc Ock running away with his tentacles and Spider-Man swinging after him. Mm-hmm. The end the end the end of the movie should be a big fight sequence between those two where Spider-Man drop kicks Doc Ock into that or some sort of horrible accident happens where he ends up falling into that or getting sucked into it based on his own ego or something like that. Sure. But it just seems they're like, well, we're not really sure how we would do that. So like can we do something else? <laughs> Ah, which I guess I do understand. Like Spider-Man, Spider-Man is like a tough thing to do. I mean, it's not not necessarily anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how they would have accomplished some of the things that I'm saying that they needed to do. But it's not like 1985 is a time period where no special effects existed. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Japan did Spider-Man in the seventies, right? There, yeah, and there was there was a seventies live-action Spider-Man show on TV that d- it didn't run for very long, and the effects sucked, but like they still did something, you know? So yeah, it's, yeah, it's weird, and yeah, I mean, it's the eighties. Like they had, they could make cool. You, they made so many cool movies in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Like they, they could pull it off. It's yeah, they were they were being weird. Yeah. There is one last set piece that ends the closes the movie. It's not a fight, but this it's basically they're they're still in this floating building um, that's <laughs> sometimes described as falling, sometimes described as floating. I, I could not follow it, but it's Liz, Spidey and Liz trying to escape. They go through a bunch of doors and crazy jumps and stuff like that. Um, I don't know why they couldn't just like jump out of the building. I guess they had to wait till it gets close enough to the ground and then floats away again. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Either way, the weirder part is that at some point Spidey runs away, changes back into civilian clothes as Peter to be like, yeah, I was up here too. So he and Liz can find a giant American flag and use it as a parachute. Oh, wow. Okay, that's the Spider-Man I know. <laughs> There's the Spider-Man movie moment. <laughs> Wow, I, that's so funny that that is included in the the nineteen eighty five version of a Spider Man movie. Yeah, because 
that's like a staple now, although they've actually moved away from it because I don't think Far From Home has anything like that. Uh, part of that is the fact that it's not in the United States, but that it became such a staple of those movies. But I always attributed it to the fact that the Spider-Man movies are a very, very, very post 9-11 entertainment property in New York. I always thought so too. Yeah, me too. So, wow. And so then, you know, after after it became sort of a thing, they just sort of ran with it. But wow, okay, this is very, I mean, this is very pre-9-11. So, Uh huh. Strange. Huh. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how it ends, and they're in, they're just in love now as they're. Uh, well, of course. She doesn't know he's Spider Man still, but like they're in love as they float down with the American flag parachute. The last shot <laughs> of the movie is that building floating up into the sky, never to be seen again. I guess. Oh, I know, right? Okay. Oh, that seems like a problem that should be solved. But uh, all right. And that would be like that would be like one of the college buildings, right? I think so. Yep. <laughs> okay. Cool. 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 So just a couple more notes on this. Obviously, that would have been really expensive to make. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy yeah. movie. Canon kept slashing the budget. Um, so Zito was like, I can't make this. <laughs> I can't make this ridiculous movie on no budget. Um, now, so he quits. Were the budget cuts. Were the, so do you get the sense that there were budget cuts before this particular version of the script happened? Probably, I think I think there is always uh I, well, I don't know because this this is this is the the latest version of the script. This is the final version of it, so there might have been like a cheaper rewrite of it, and then they buffed it back up or something. Okay, later. I don't know, but I feel but I, all of the elements of this and a lot of the action sequences were were present early. So okay, hmm. yeah, I, I I want so badly to be able to find some sort of like rational explanation for the absolute buffoonery in this movie. <laughs> I know, uh, and I, I know. can't, I can't, and that's what's so none. upsetting. <laughs> there is none. There is none. Its death is a little bit slow and painful because the following year, uh, 80, in 86, um, Cannon still tried to get the script done with director Albert Pune, who is well known for directing a lot of like low-budget B-movies and direct-to-video mm. action movies full of like kickboxing and cyborgs and post-apocalyptic dystopias. And he made that 1990 Captain America movie that was like, oh. not really released. So I think I'm they were sure like – I'm pretty sure I own that. Oh, really? <laughs> I've never seen it. I think so. I'll have to double check. I have some sort of like Captain America double feature DVD thing. Oh, weird. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they hired him because they knew that he like was comfortable just doing, making whatever shit he wanted on a low budget. <laughs> sure. They made a teaser trailer that you can find online. There's not much to <gasps> it. It's just um, I can, I'll send it to you if you want to watch it now. Um, oh, yeah. Let's yeah. do it. The funny thing is that it was apparently produced like before Zito was uh, fired, so his name he they still list him as the director. <laughs> interestingly, um, there's not much to it; it's really short. But uh, but yeah, they just, just huh. want to watch that. All right, let's take a look at this. Within this unsuspecting city, history's greatest experiment creates tomorrow. <laughs> there's a spider. <laughs> That's not Spider-Man movement. <laughs> That was like a slideshow of poses. That's there's that's nothing. That was nothing. I told you. I told you. It's a teaser. It is the epitome of a teaser trailer. That is the only. But you know. Oh wow. It's kind of cool that that is literally the only remnant of this movie that exists. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they made it before they'd even filmed anything. <laughs> costume looked all right. I don't know that that would have been yeah. the costume that they used since yeah. they had nothing done. But costume looked yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. 
the, the plan is interesting because they actually originally planned to film like two weeks of the movie, like before Spy- uh, Peter Parker is bitten by the spider with Leva just like in his regular body type. And then they would pause. Pune would go film Masters of the Universe Part 2. And during that time, uh, Leva would just like work out a bunch and like bulk up. <laughs> and then they'd resume filming for Spider-Man. So very like <laughs> basic, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I mean, you know, a uh, very practical idea, I guess. Yeah. But uh, but you know, Canon Canon was on a budget. They I think they were already getting to be on the brink of they're probably on the brink of bankruptcy yeah. by this point. So they canceled both of those projects, both Spider Man and Masters of the Universe, and recycled all of the sets and props that had been built for Spider Man for the cult classic Jean Claude Van Damme film Cyborg. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so Who ends knew? the. Yeah, I know. Weird, right? But so ends the uh, kind of classic pre Cameron version of the this spider-man movie of course this version is still gonna play into the cameron era a little bit but not much this is pretty much the death of it the rights kind of go back and forth all over places it ends up at a place called carl co pictures which produced films like total recall rambo and terminator 2 judgment day oh and knowing who directed that we know that that's going to lead us into part two ah. of this spider bite miniseries well i can't wait to move into the the post canon world Yes, the post-canon <laughs> world. It is an interesting one. It's definitely different. Oh, boy. Oh you can boy. judge if it's better or not. We'll see. I think we're ready to dive right in because this is one of the most fascinating uh, and also pretty notorious, maybe infamous uh, pieces <laughs> of Spider-Man movie history. Because this is going to be all about the James Cameron Spider-Man movie. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. I yep, don't know yep, if yep. I'm ready, but I don't know if I ever could be. Yeah. Um, you're not. <laughs> so <laughs> it all starts around 1993. James Cameron became attached to um, the Spider-Man project after the rights had been bought by Carl Co., which had produced Terminator 2. So that was kind of his in. This, at first, he's reported to be attached to a rewritten version of Canon's big budget script, the one that we spent a lot of time talking about last time. You can find the version that is supposedly rewritten by Cameron, or at least has a writing credit on it, online to read. So they were going to purportedly be using that with Schwarzenegger attached to play Doc Ock. Hate it. <laughs> yep. Hate it Would've so been much. Bad. Would have been. Can you bad. imagine Although, Arnold Schwarzenegger saying "Okie doke" eighty-seven times in a movie? But see, I think it would be bad. But I think that that would be. <laughs> I can I can hear him saying it. You know what I mean? Like in the same way that you can hear him saying Mr. Freeze puns. Okey doesn't doke. mean it's good. Doesn't mean I don't hate it. But I could totally see it like existing and hear uh. it in my head. Uh, okay (laughs) yes yes however just a few months after that this is why i don't think that he was ever really truly committed to using the script i think he was just using it to get it off the ground because a few short months later he submitted a 57 page scriptment a scriptment is basically a combination of a script and a script treatment so there's basically like um a combination of like different snippets of scenes like anytime he thinks there's dialogue that's important the dialogue is kind of spelled out like in a regular screenplay but a big chunk of it is just like summarizing what would be happening in scenes and just like kind of 
doing it a little more flowery than like a Wikipedia summary. Like it's still very writery and like almost written sometimes like how a novelist would write exposition. Mm -hmm. So it actually is a really fun read because I think, I think Cameron in terms of the words he uses and keeping them interesting, I think he is a good writer in that respect. Uh, Like it is really fascinating to read. Doesn't mean there isn't stuff that's very yikesy and very gross (laughs) and very weird, but it is like engaging and entertaining to read what he's writing as opposed to like the God awful canon script That was just a nightmare to read. Oh yeah. yeah. Now is, um, is 57 pages. Is that like significant in the size of what he had prepared? In that, like, it's much shorter than what a real script okay. would be. Like, a real script's going to be more like 120 to 150 pages or something. Okay. Um, so it's significant in how short that document is because he spends so much of the time summarizing things. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this one is definitely a lot more, like, Cameron-y, uh, which I'll kind of get to later, especially with where he was at in 1993, I think. But the this script follows Peter in high school um, this time, and he's courting Mary Jane. And he's fighting Electro and Sandman. So okay. that's kind of the bare bones of it that I'm pretty like much everyone knows, right? Already so much more into this. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long that's going to last, but for now, <laughs> yeah. I'm much yeah. more into this. <laughs> yeah. So what's interesting about this is that there's definitely kind of like a 90s cynicism aspect to it that really, really comes through. Um, For example, right at the beginning, the way that Peter's described, like this is kind of from Peter's perspective, saying like, you know, he's a bright kid. He doesn't have many friends. He's ostracized. The scriptment says our MTV culture frowns on people who think too much. Intellectual curiosity is decidedly unhip. Who cares about where the universe came from or how the Greeks hammered Troy? Did you hear the new Pearl Jam album? Okay, Boomer. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> that's yep, like yep, yep. uh that's everything i would have expected to hear my grandparents saying about gen xers yep, yep. yep. <laughs> it's yep. everything yep. in like three sentences yep. yep even there's even like a whole remark like everybody else is a loser it's gonna be flipping burgers and i'm gonna cure cancer so like i will say that i guess that's pretty true to like the ditko era peter parker who's <laughs> yeah. kind of a dick or in the very early comics yeah. and like softens up after a while so i kind of get that but really this whole movie is interesting and i don't honestly know where i land on it in the macro even though a lot of weird stuff is, is weird. Sure. Um, but there is an interesting aspect of it where it's trying to deal with like, what if Spider-Man existed in like a very cynical world with a very cynical Gen X reality bites kind of, kind of attitude to him. Sure. And I think it actually, and it's not just putting it on to like, just to do it, just to be hip. Like, I think it's actually really trying to grapple with what that would mean in a superhero movie, which I think is kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I think is kind of Cameron-y about it. But anyway, so Mary Jane is Peter's lab partner in his class. She's supposedly really rich and popular, though, like, in the comics, we do, like, a, a, over time realize that, like, oh, she comes from a broken home. Her popular persona is just a mask that she's putting on, and that's how she's inevitably going to bond with Peter and Spider-Man over this. So kind of the typical stuff that we get from Mary Jane in, in multiple variations. Yeah. She, however, she is dating Flash. Um, he is not Flash Thompson. He is Nathan Flash McCreary. Okay. Is cool. there significance to that name or is that uh, just nope. Flash isn't a name? So it's got to be his nickname. <laughs> nope. Nope. Yes. Nope. Oh, many names are changed in this. That make no sense. Okay. So, All right. Cool. Yeah. Not just, just the first. 
Um, so we get like a, a brief glimpse of his kind of very pathetic high school life. He's bullied a lot, obviously. Um, we actually, thankfully, as opposed to the last script, we get to his powers very quickly. Yay! Mm-hmm. This is interesting because it's actually interestingly similar to the Raimi version, but also not. So he is at a science seminar um, that he's just going to, not on a field trip, just like because he likes science or whatever. So <laughs> they are experimenting on fruit flies. Oh. Uh, yes. Swerve, right? So they are recoding the genome of the fruit fly to transfer genetic information from one species to another. So That's, that's like, is that a real thing, though? I feel like that's I that sounds know. super familiar. It does. I wonder if that's based in some kind of version of reality, right? Like, I feel like that's yeah. something. There's yeah. some, something about fruit flies and genetics, I think, is a real thing. Yeah. So I, I think there's definitely, like, a through line for that. Huh. Okay. And actually, just almost exactly, like, the Raimi movie lifted some of this stuff because you know how there's a line in the Raimi movie where Mary Jane, where, where they're talking and she's like, 10 genetically engineered super spiders. And yeah. Mary Jane's like, there are only nine spiders. That almost exactly happens here, except oh. it's Peter. Um, they say, like, 10 mutagenically activated flies. And Peter <laughs> says, but there are only nine flies. So they definitely use some of the script in the Raimi movie is all I'm saying. Sure. The, the fly has escaped. A spider in the corner eats the fly. Oh, okay. Right. So the f- spider presumably has, like, absorbed the fly's ability to transfer genetic material. Hmm. And the spider bite actually also happens a lot, like in the Raimi movie, where Peter's taking a picture and it lands on his hand and, and it bites him. So okay. he feels nasty and, and sick and he goes <laughs> home and goes to bed. Um, this is cool. So... He has a bunch of dreams that that happen a couple of times. The dreams are described as disturbing images of webs from a POV as if crawling over them, glistening eyes in the dark, sudden predatory lunges, prey struggling hopelessly to escape, a David Lynch biohorror montage of Spider World. Yeah. Oh, that is a way to describe it. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, I'm into that. He wakes up from this dream on a building in his underwear, <laughs> and he has he has to sneak back home. Huh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah, uh, so. you know, he's probably uh, probably nightmaring and sweating a whole lot and just uh, over the clothes. Although, maybe he just sleeps in his underwear. Probably. Probably. Yeah. yeah it's probably yeah. The, the most simple explanation. <laughs> I think that's the simpler explanation. Yeah. <laughs> There's also like a little bit just like in the Raimi movie where he's like, I'm not wearing my glasses. Oh, I put on my glasses. Now it's blurry. Like almost exactly like in that movie. So. Okay. And he has more dreams about Spider-Man-y things. It's sort of the same deal. It gets more and more. It's getting less abstract and more just him dreaming about climbing and jumping on buildings after a while. Hmm. Now he wakes up from this dream feeling really good. He's like, I have a lot of energy. Like. Wow, I just, like, I feel awesome. He pulls back his covers and, read this verbatim, something is causing the sheet to stick to him. No. I know this part and I know it's coming. (laughs) He lifts it, revealing a sticky white mass completely covering him, gluing him to his bedding. No. It is some silky substance webbing him to the covers. He cries out in dismay, struggling to free himself from the gluey strands. Where did it come from? He notices his wrists. They are oozing a pearlescent white fluid uh, from, from almost invisible slits about a quarter of an inch long. What is he, uh, he pushes onto the skin next to one of the slits, and a dark shape, the size and color of a rose thorn, emerges from beneath the skin. It shoots a jet of liquid silk into his face. I fucking 
hate that. It's not even like what's being described isn't even a fraction of as bad as the way it's described. Like oh, God, if no. you just imagine everything, it's like, okay, I I see what they're doing. But just the way he <laughs> describes it is the absolute fucking worst. Yep. 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 Ugh. He has a way with words, I will say. A way. Some sort of way. <laughs> a way with words. Interestingly, this leads right in. This is kind of unfair because there's actually a, a good chunk of stuff that happens in between that scene and the passage I'm going to read now. He, there's, there's some stuff where Peter's like beckoned into the night and the night feels like home. So they try to go into this whole like predatory urges thing and and like that that's causing him to want to like go out into the night and do crazy acrobatics huh. and stuff. So that's I mean it's it's a it's it's a thing that I think that he's trying to get through that would be communicated visually but not necessarily spelled out in a way it's more just going to be like I really feel like I want to go outside. I guess. It's, I, I guess so. I don't know that that's like a, th- a spider thing. <laughs> it's it's yeah. There's a few things that come up that that's kind of a weird theme in this movie is the whole like predator idea. Yeah. This passage, great. It's great. Um, He doesn't know what's happening to him. He thinks he is a freak. His body has become a stranger. Hopefully this will be seen correctly as a metaphor for puberty and its awakening of primal drives. (laughs) Everybody goes through this growing awareness that powerful forces are driving them beneath their supposedly rational consciousness. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. (laughs) I don't think we got that from the first gross puberty thing you wrote i know i know look the thing is like uh, the way he writes it is so obviously a cum thing uh uh-huh but the actual scene itself would have just naturally been more nuanced than that because once it's all visually there on screen it's not so obvious (laughs) like but i I love the fact that he didn't think he was being too forward that's adorable (laughs) he's an interesting individual he's one of my favorite filmmakers like in terms of like technical prowess and vision and stuff sure and 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 i love a lot of his story stuff but he's a he's a flawed guy and he's one of those like dudes who's like a genius who is like basically an alien like that archetypal (laughs) like like doesn't he's so smart he doesn't understand humanity like i'm sure he would be perfectly happy just like living in the depths of like underwater forever like if you wanted to like he would be you know like Didn't he's he kind of try that <laughs> oh he's tried to multi- he's still trying that's why he doesn't make movies very often except for avatar like he just wants to live underwater forever <laughs> uh, i mean i can appreciate the brain that's in there um, yeah just yeah don't write about cum anymore james it's disgusting uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. this is like a lot of his worst sides i feel like uh coming out here um for example peter spies on mary jane while she's undressing in her home uh. from from the outside window so that's cool at least he does get so overwhelmed by watching her get into her underwear through her window that he loses his grips and falls into a bunch of rose bushes oh okay well he's yeah he, there's a consequence yeah yeah that so, also doesn't feel that out of place for a movie in the 90s Good point. Creeping yeah. on your neighbor in her bra. It's not, yeah, not not the worst thing that could have happened, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he contemplates he contemplates naming himself either the human spider or the man spider, which is kind of oh. funny. Yeah, yeah. Then this is I actually think this is really clever. So when he makes his own, he makes his homemade costume. It's made out of just like kind of in, like in the um like in the comics, it's like a dance leotard that he like sews together and stuff. Sure. 
However, they they kind of play like that he's really embarrassed about his like the little like webbing the the organic webbing that he has, especially since <laughs> there's a little like rose thorn thing. Uh-huh. So you know you see the metaphor there. Um, but he tries to pretend that he has web shooters. So he gets like two old watch bands, some cigarette lighters that he like solders together to cover them up, just so like it looks like he has high tech wrist shooters that simulate spider silk rather than produces them himself. So it's sort of like their way of writing around the change from the comics, but also kind of playing into like his characterization of being like super embarrassed about his own spider powers. So, okay, is this sort of getting to the bottom of the organic web altogether? That like, yeah. it sort of originated as this metaphor for budding sexuality and like, frankly, boners uh, mm-hmm. that like, that's sort of why it was turned organic and then they just kept that detail for the Raimi movies? I think so, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, then then that's just one less thing that you have to, like, deal with explaining or taking yeah. time to explain or, 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 you know, worrying about a suspension of disbelief of Peter building web shooters. Like, sure. you can just be like, eh, he just gets webbing as part of his spider powers, you know? It is very funny, though, that they decide to give him organic web only to have him pretend he doesn't have organic web. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get it for the metaphor, but it's just like such a funny thing. (laughs) It's really funny. It's really funny. It's basically like a meta gag at at, at that point, essentially. So, so there's a lot of focus, kind of like I said, there's a lot of focus on Peter kind of, um, of Spidey kind of like being embarrassed and feeling isolated about his powers. And he's also like him as Spider-Man represents a lot of aspects, like repressed aspects of Peter coming out. Like that's spelled out in the script um, that he's like extra cocky and confident and Peter actually puts on a very different manlier voice when he's Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. So again, puberty metaphors and stuff, growing up <laughs> metaphors, trying to be a man. It's all there. It's very transparent. I just thought of the, uh, <laughs> I just thought of the Tom Holland approaching uh, Aaron Davis conversation. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> puts the filter on his voice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I need information. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is, I mean, that yep. makes sense, though. I mean, even just it from, does. like, a general superhero uh thing. I, I know, you know, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, they just have voices that are naturally obstructed by their mask. But it would make sense that, that you wouldn't yeah. just talk normal. Uh, and when you're making this metaphor, it, it makes even more sense. Yep. And in the 60s cartoon, like, Paul Souls intentionally had, like, a slightly deeper voice when he was Spider-Man versus Peter, too. Sure. So, like, there's precedent for it. Yeah. Well, it's a confidence thing, right? Like, Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Totally makes sense. So, he he tries to make money by doing, like, street acts. Like, like just, like, pr- like performing on the street, basically. Just get people just, like, toss loose change to him. Oh. Yeah. That's what he does first. New York. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I think that's that's clever. Um, it makes sense. But uh, he gets noticed by kind of like in the original script by just like a random rep- representative dude, a uh, media rep. And he ends up on a late night variety show. Oh. Um, and he sort of becomes popular in that cir- that circuit, like on like late night shows. When would this have come out? Uh, This would have been around like probably would have come out around like 94. Do you think that they would have had like Jay Leno be in this movie? Oh, definitely. They totally would have done that. They totally would have done that. Whoever whoever they could get who actually worked on Late Night, they would yeah. have absolutely gotten them as a cameo. Yeah, 100% would have done that. Hmm. So now that he's like kind of on TV and becoming sort of popular as this like kind of this mini like local celebrity figure, um, he's noticed by a man named Carlton Strand. He is described in the script, I think in, with by Peter's voiceover actually, as being bigger than Trump. 
because we live in a <laughs> hell universe where Trump is attached to literally everything in existence. Uh, um, so wait, in a movie where there is somebody who is a bigger New York name than Trump, they still use Trump as the point of reference for those of us who exist in the actual real yep. world. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> I feel like there's a there's a better way to do that, but all right, I I get it, sure. I get it. Sure. So Carlton Strand is the movie's main villain, and he is the movie's version of Electro. Oh, um, okay. Wh- why he's named Carlton Strand, I, I don't know. Wait. He, we get a flat. He's this version's Electro. Yes. Um, okay. But he's also basically Norman Osborn. He's like okay. Electro and Norman Osborn combined. Okay. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So he, they, we, there's actually multiple flashbacks in this movie. So we get a flashback to his origin story um, where he was actually a former thief who it's complicated, but basically he's like ends up like in the desert where there's this conceptual art piece that like attracts lightning and he gets in like all the light and he gets electrocuted when all the lightning strikes it and focuses in on him and his body. Um, and he gets lightning powers from it. Like that's, there's, there's not much more to it. <laughs> but, he's, a, uh, <laughs> he's a former thief who is now richer than Trump. <laughs> so basically, right. That's the point. He basically, instead of using his powers to just like become, uh, you know, what Electro is in the comics to so just like, become like a low grade criminal and rob banks and stuff. He actually is like, I'm going to use this to like manipulate computer records and like get my way into the stock market. So he actually doesn't use them to fight. He uses them to like make money essentially, like literally like get his way into like the corporate world. Um, He essentially like is spelled out to pretty much be like a parody of corporate capitalists at the time. That's a, that's an interesting take. Like I'm, I don't hate that. I don't either. I think that's a cool idea actually. And again, you know, they're definitely like taking bits from like Kingpin and Norman Osborn yeah. to create this character with with Electro's powers, essentially. What's his name again? Carlton Strand. Carlton Strand, good name. Yeah, I think it's it's a good name for like a corrupt corporate executive. Yeah. So, <laughs> ooh, so he, his flaw with his powers is that he ha- it takes him great willpower to not electrocute anyone that he touches. Oh. Which means that having sex is hard. Oh, Jesus uh, Which Christ. we learn when his lover <laughs> named Cordelia comes in wearing a rubber suit. And they, uh, you know, she's wearing a rubber. Get it? Because they uh. want to have sex with her wearing a rubber. Um, but he's like, mm, I want to do this without the rubber suit. He wants to do it bareback. So he forces her to take off her rubber suit and they have sex and he electrocutes her and kills her during sex cool but then he shows that he can also revive people because he then like electrocutes her again in her heart like a defibrillator and resurrects her and she's like please don't do that anymore i hate it i i also uh, hate it (laughs) i i'm exhausted (laughs) i'm sorry i'm sorry for putting you through this you you need to get james cameron to apologize to me you've done nothing wrong (laughs) i okay so she's she's in a rubber suit Mm mm-hmm they this... start to have sex, and she just doesn't want it. Want to do it in the rubber suit? Okay, I'm not going to get into the details of the logistics of how a know. rubber suit like that would work. Yeah, I, mean, I don't but understand. What either. the fuck, James Cameron, <laughs> to think of a rubber suit that would work under those circumstances? Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> There's yep. a lot that goes into that. Uh huh. Wow. I I I wonder if that scene even would have made it into the final movie god i don't know i don't know it depends on whether because this movie does have like it has you know they do some f-bombs they do a lot of i mean it's a lot of sexual stuff that's kind of explicit so i have a feeling 
they would have tried to scale it back and cut some of the stuff down, honestly. I I feel like a scene in which the villain kills his partner by having sex with her mm-hmm. wouldn't have made it. <laughs> I, 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 I yeah. want to believe that wouldn't have made it. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, you want to believe that. I but... want to so bad. <laughs> I don't know if this movie ever had a chance to get off the ground, to be honest. Like knowing and knowing like James Cameron's very um like he's he's very much like uh one of those like super ultra like dedicated to his movies kinds of guys. So mm-hmm. like if it wasn't really following his vision, especially at this point after like Terminator two, like he's kind of his top of top of his game. So like I feel like they would have fought him on stuff and he would have quit based on that. Like I don't know if there was ever any chance that this was actually going to happen in this form. Sure. At least. Now I'm not, you know, like I'm not a um, cinephile or whatever. I don't, I don't know all that much um, just about the process or things like that, or, or specific directors, especially like specific directors, visions and habits and, and work style and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is James can't? This is like very much sex. Um, is oh God, yeah. James Cameron, like a guy who just like he has a theme and he has that theme and that theme is everywhere in the thing he's making, or is James Cameron just like? everything I make is also sex. No, no, no. He's not. No. Yeah. The sex thing isn't really that common in a lot of this stuff. <laughs> I didn't think so. No. I think, I think the first thing you said, I think if he has an idea, he, he builds a story out of that idea. And I think that's what's happening here, which is why like movies that have, that he has a really good concept and theme for it's the really good, like Terminator two is like a very heavily thematic movie. And like the philosophy of it is really fascinating, even in the midst of just like, you know, really good action sequences and stuff. So I think he is actually really good at that. And I think that's the appeal for a lot of his movies, even when they're like something like Titanic, that's also like kind of generally really over the top in terms of its characterization. But there's a lot of really, there's like a really solid heart beating heart to it and like really solid thematic things that are going on that I think still make it really interesting and engaging. So yeah, I think that's all that's happening here is that he had this idea He's never done a movie that deals this heavily with like sexual maturation or like teenage, you know, teenage stuff or coming of age stuff. Like none of his movies up to this point that I can think of were really that centered on like a teenager becoming an adult. Sure. So he just went very hard on that idea. He sure did. Yeah. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That makes sense. Because I was going to say like I know I've seen James Cameron things and I would be – it would be a very weird – weird thing for me to have seen them and only now just realize all of those movies happen to also be about yeah. sex no, no, <laughs> like no. what did i miss <laughs> uh, okay yeah. no that, i mean that makes sense like he he had an idea that this was a uh you know the metaphor for this movie and and you know it's not just not gonna go light yeah. on it oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> So Uncle Ben's death happens kind of around this point. Um, it's it's very it's very basic, like pretty much exactly a, a very almost verbatim to what happens in the Raimi movie. Um, you know, Peter lets a criminal escape at one point, and then that criminal goes and and uh, shoots Uncle Ben like on the street. I think he's carjacking him too after propositioning him for some sex. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't go that far, luckily. <laughs> oh, okay. All... I just assumed. <laughs> Yeah, and Peter Peter chases down the criminal. Um, the, the the criminal calls Spidey a gay slur in tights. So, oh, yikes! Cool, James. That's fun. <laughs> Yay! Sadly, that might have made it into the movie. Oh, in 1993, absolutely, uh-huh. yeah, it would have. It absolutely would have. 
But yeah, so Spidey catches the killer and he tries to he doesn't he doesn't die or anything like in the Raimi movie. He does actually just capture him, tries to offer him to the cops. And this is the turn where the turn happens that the cops like don't take his word for it and try to arrest Spider-Man instead. So Spidey fights off the cops in self-defense, which is like caught. I think it's like caught on TV or whatever. Okay. So this becomes the impetus for J. Jonah Jameson to have a feud with him. Like, they ah. actually explain that. Um, that he's like, oh, my first exposure to Spider-Man is him beating up a bunch of cops. Obviously, he's a terrible person. Hmm. Yeah. And Jameson, in this version, does isn't an editor for the Daily Bugle. He just owns a local TV station. Oh. Oh, how yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder how that would have developed over time if that would have changed the eventual relationship between Peter Parker and Jonah or if there just never would have been one. He never gets a job with Jonah in this scriptment. So I don't know if that was ever on the table or what. Sure. Um, or maybe he would later on. But yeah, in this version of it, he ne- he doesn't really ever interact with Jameson at all. Huh, okay. Yeah. So another, another point after this, you know, Peter's still kind of reeling from all that stuff going on and he's deciding the great power, great responsibility thing, which I don't think is said in the scriptment, but, you know, obviously a lot of it could have still been a line in the movie because a lot of the stuff is summarized. Of course, but, yeah. Um, the idea is still there. So very basic stuff. At one point, Peter sees Flash and Mary Jane get in an argument and Flash slaps her. <gasps> so, oh, gosh. That yeah. Was... <laughs> I did not uh, see that coming. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whoa. So, so he, uh, he gets in a Spider-Man outfit and beats the shit out of Flash and destroys his car. Okay. All right. Yep. Um, that actually does come back into play later, but... He also, at another point, rescues Mary Jane from a group of punks, just like in the Raimi film. Hmm. But in this case, he yells at the punks, If you worthless chunks of vomit show your faces around here again, I'll decorate my Christmas tree with your intestines. Got it? What the hell? Thanks, Spidey. (laughs) Cool. Be mad. (laughs) That's a very Venom thing for him to say. Uh Uh-huh. He a dark and twisted boy. Yeah. Oh, oh, I don't like that. Ugh. I'm not into it either. <laughs> Especially the more I think about it. Yuck. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Huh. I mean, I guess like uh, it. if this is like uh, early Spider-Man fighting crime, it actually, you know, you, you could have moments like that where it's like an obvious mm-hmm. yikes. Where it's like, oh, you don't yeah. get it yet. You're not there yet. But I, I don't know that that's what this was. <laughs> I think it it might be because based on where the Flash thing comes up again, like I, we're meant to see an arc of Peter, like just kind of letting out his anger and repression on criminals okay. and like really grappling with the moral gray of like life in general, like in the complexity of everything where like it's not cut and dry. Like he can't just be, he can't just save people and have it go good. Like everything always sure. goes wrong. Um, so I think that that is an intentional arc. Or at least that's what it seemed to me. I like the idea of it. I don't like the way that that manifests in that moment. Uh, I agree. <laughs> it's probably I agree. a better way to, to get to that. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So after Peter rescues MJ, um, he uh, he swings her over to the top of the stainless steel globe from the 64 World's Fair. Oh. Yeah, very specific thing that, again, has, as far as I know, has never been in a Spider-Man movie. Hmm. So they're up there and they kiss. <laughs> except... She she doesn't roll up his mask. What? Uh, she Wait. kisses him through the fabric of his mask. <laughs> That's kind of gross. That happens twice. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> There's no mouth on that mask, Mary Jane. <laughs> There's another point where the mask dynamics do not make any sense and I'm like, "Do you know how masks work, James? I don't know if you do, buddy." <laughs> I 
huh i'm like trying to think through that i guess like hmm hmm no there would have been plenty of instances probably in the comics by then right Oh, I I'm can't sure imagine that like Raimi was the first one to roll down the mask. <laughs> By '93, definitely. Yeah. I'm sure Black Cat had done it a bunch of times. Oh, already. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's so weird. Uh, Peter Ooh. and MG were married already. They probably have done it too. I'm sure. Yeah, mm. it's it's happened for sure. It's, so it's you know what? Weird. It's pure though. They're still teenagers. They can't kiss without a mask on. Uh, hold on to put a pin in that for later. Um, (laughs) so meanwhile, Strand sends his, uh, buddy Boyd, who is Sandman, just a guy named Boyd is also Sandman. Uh, we learned he's Sandman when he just beats up Spidey in an alleyway after, at some point with his sand powers, just to show him that other people with powers exist. Do you think that James Cameron just doesn't like the comic booky names? I'm sure he probably not. Yeah. Like they're hokey or whatever. Yeah, it might be what it is, because Mary Jane Watson is, like, a normalish name, and Peter Parker is too iconic to change. Right, yeah. Um, everybody else, literally everybody else, other than Jameson, he changes the name That's up. That's gotta so. be it. Yeah. Hmm. But, yeah, so uh, Spidey is aware, like, oh, shit, more people have powers in the world. That's weird. And Strand himself later, like, meets Spider-Man and just, like, arranges a meeting with him, basically. And he's and, – and he kind of – this is very much the Norman Osborn, especially in, in the Raimi movie thing, where he is trying to, like, get Spidey to work with him and join him. Mm-hmm. He's like, I want to work with people who have powers. Like, Sandman has powers and, like, you have powers. We get another flashback uh, that Sandman was a maintenance worker present during a bilocation experiment in New York that caused him to transubstantiate with the sand beneath him. That's okay. complicated. Uh-huh. Yep. Could have just said he got caught in an experiment. But I mean, I guess that's what happens. They just use a lot of big <laughs> words to guess. say that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they they try to play up, just like in every fucking Spider-Man movie ever, they try to play up that Strand could be a potential father figure for Peter. Because, mm-hmm. you know, at this point, Peter is still like new to this game and still feeling really cynical about everything. Sure. Um. So he's like, okay, Strand seems kind of cool. Um, he even does like a whole Magneto bit with how like we're the next step in evolution and we're better than everybody and now you're better than everybody. Yeah. Um, which again plays into kind of the, the opening description of Peter where he thinks he's above everyone else. So yeah. I, I get the thematic thread there. So he is tempted to work with him. He does pretty quickly reject him when he kind of recognizes that like, wait, you're just like a corrupt corporate executive. You're just in it for yourself. I'm not really into that. So Strand is mad that Peter rejected or Spider-Man rejected his offer. So he buys Jameson's TV station so he can like get control of it and get Jameson to uh, get do anti-Spidey stories on the air 24-7. I feel like that would have happened anyway. Oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and he like kind of gets a stranglehold on all of media to just pump out anti-Spider-Man stories to make the world so hostile to Spider-Man that he would end up losing faith in humanity and would have to run back to Strand because he'd have no one else, theoretically. He even goes so far as to get thugs to dress up as Spider-Man and beat up old ladies oh, God. to also get the neighborhoods to turn on him. Why did they have to be old ladies? They could have been anybody. <laughs> uh-huh. Huh. Um, is this it is weird gonna... that one of the things I'm most upset about so far is the idea that Jameson could be bought by like yeah. by like some big corporate guy? Yeah, I don't know how that maybe would have played out. You know, it might have they might have come up with an agreement or something. If they don't really get there's not much done with Jameson, like we don't get very many of his lines or anything. Okay. So like it's hard to really get an get a 
like what they were going for for this take on him. I guess if they had done it in such a way that Strand approaches him and Jameson, like you kind of said, was like, I'm already going to do that. So like there's mm-hmm. money to be made here. I could see that working for me because then it's opportunistic in the way that I would expect and enjoy Jameson to be. Uh, so that that in that way, it could have worked. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. It, yeah, it's hard to say with with this with this script because mm-hmm. it really only focuses on like specific things, sure. so or elaborates on specific things rather. But yeah, this is the kind of the lowest point of, of the movie, or like the lowest point for Peter, I should say, because um, like I said, this movie really goes hard on the moral gray area and like what it means to be like a savior, like. <laughs> For example, um, I skipped this a little bit earlier, but it, it fits into this whole like section and like the whole thesis for the movie. His very first actual save, like his like of a, of a random person, is when he sees like a husband beating up on his wife, uh-huh. and he stops the husband, and then the wife is like, "Why are you beating up my husband?" and hits Spider-Man with a frying pan, and they both start beating him. Oh, yeah. So he's what? like, I don't understand people. They don't make any sense. I don't understand people either. After that. Right. The whole idea being that, like, it's just all really complex. Like, yeah. you know, that's, I mean, you know, that's a, a wife that still stands by her abusive husband because that's, like, all she knows, right? Yeah, so, there's a way to make that work. I, yeah. I'm, I, I'm probably being too hard on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that that would make sense in the context for what they're doing. It's not a pretty thing to see, but I get it. Because mm-hmm. um, there's other points where similar things happen. Like, he, he comes upon cops who are violently beating someone up in an alley. And so he's like, I got to stop this. He stops the cops and then, like becomes even more of a wanted criminal because everyone takes the cop's side. Yeah. Which is a familiar story. And I think it's pretty, uh, you know, pretty interesting. And there's a little section of the script where like Peter is, as that is most like contemplative and lowest and not understanding the whole world. It says he will enter a moral twilight zone where the victims and the crimes are not so clear cut, where it is hard for a well-meaning crusader to jump in and help or save when the victims must be saved from themselves or from a society which grinds them down. And how can one man, one boy really make a difference? The tide of injustice and pain is too great, too overwhelming. Hmm. Yeah, so he's going for something very specific here, obviously. Different from the sex stuff, but definitely another heavy theme in the movie. Um, It all kind of coalesces when uh, there's, like, a a group of, like, teen criminals that are Peter's age um, that he's fighting off. I think they're, like, involved in a drug deal or something. But the uh, criminal gets, like, chased onto a fire escape. Um, Peter tries to, like, get him, but the kid slips off and Peter isn't able to get him in time before he falls onto the street and dies. Oh, um, God. Which really fucks Peter up. Yeah. Yeah. So... He's, like, pushed to the edge, and he contemplates just, like, stealing money from a drug deal that he thwarts, just being like, fuck everything. I'm going to get this money. They reference that Aunt May needs an operation, apparently, and Peter wants to buy a car. I don't know where Aunt May's <laughs> operation came from. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, so he takes the money, but then um, the I think the, probably the movie is one of the movie's trailer moments is that he decides to um, instead – just like throw the money off of a building onto a poor neighborhood instead. So it's oh just no! Money on the poor neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no, Peter! No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's meant to be a very inspirational moment. Um, yeah, it's very I clear. But it. you know, it's in, it's inspirational in a very '90s movie way. <laughs> right, right, right. Context matters. <laughs> uh, yeah, right, right, right. I get what they're going for, even uh... if it's. Not a good solution for that, right. but okay. <laughs> um, 
just a couple of random things that happen during this. Um, uh, at one point, he his costume gets so wrecked that he just decides to buy a store-bought rendition of his costume that people made just because he's a popular character. And he realizes it's actually better made than what his real costume oh. was, which is really funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. At another point, he gets the flu, uh, just funny gags that are happening, stuff that I'm sure would end up getting cut from the final movie because it's like a lot of fluff in it. Yeah. Eventually, um, you know, the whole the whole city has turned against him, it feels like. Peter still, he's had his little nice moment, but he's still like not feeling great. Mary Jane is one of the only people that is still outspoken about still believing in Spider-Man. Like, I think she even like talks to some reporters at some point or just trying to defend him or whatever. So Spider-Man sees it. He's like, I love you. You're awesome. So he goes to visit her, takes her to the Brooklyn Bridge. And this is when I need you to open that document that I sent you. No, I think I know what this is about. I need (laughs) you to experience what I experienced last night. Okay. All right. You you will read Spider-Man's lines. I'll read the stage directions and the one line from from Mary Jane. Okay. (laughs) So... MJ stands with her back against a girder, needing to feel something solid. Spider-Man stands before her, a perfectly formed male silhouette with a soothing low voice. Courtship among the spiders is highly ritualized. It varies from species to species. The male spider may circle the female or wave his front legs to signal that he is not prey. Spider-Man moves in a hypnotic arc around her. He raises his hands in a dance-like movement, lowers them. The female usually signals her willingness by an uncharacteristic passivity. MJ takes a deep breath. Her lip trembles. Her knees are weak. Her eyes, though, are steady, gazing at the silhouette before her. She doesn't move or speak. He moves closer. In certain crab spiders, such as Zysticus, (laughs) (laughs) the male will attach strands of silk to the female, tying her limbs. Spider-Man moves his hand gracefully across her, and she sees the sheerest silk webbing glinting in the moonlight. First one wrist, then the other. Hypnotic movement in the moonlight. Her arms are bound to the wall. Her breathing gets more rapid. Since the female can break free at any time, the bonds have only symbolic significance. The male must be very bold to take such liberties with the predatory female. Yes, he is very bold, but he must also trust her. He moves very close. Close your eyes. He removes his mask and kisses her. Their mouths very slowly and very sensuously devour each other. Then they have sex on top of the Brooklyn Bridge! Uh, I was reading that last night scream crying no, like no no the entire time because it just gets worse uh, he's doing a mating dance he's literally doing a mating dance there's so much about this that is terrible creepy? it's so it's oh uh, okay first off there is literally nothing less sexy than describing spider sex <laughs> to get your partner turned on <laughs> What are you doing, MJ? That also should not work on you at all. Um, I feel like this also completely ignores the fact that MJ should then eat him uh, afterwards. Uh, They're also in high school. Um, Gross, right? What the fuck? James Cameron. (laughs) Uh, I, I... I feel like this also would have 
made it into the film heavily modified. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Heavily. Yes. 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 Because who in the world is being like, yeah, let's, yeah, let's, you know what? Let's have the high schoolers fuck on top of this bridge. (laughs) After Peter does a spider mating dance in front of her, Uh ties up her wrists. Uh Uh-huh. Also, she still doesn't know he's Peter Parker. He takes off his mask after she closes her eyes. And it's, <sighs> I will spoil it, that she still doesn't know he's Peter Parker later on. So she has sex with Just like him. random mask guy. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, to be honest, that's probably one of the least weird parts of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, true, but it's not many, great either. Like, super, no, it's not great. It's not great. It's not great. Um. But considering how many superhero stories have that sort of like, I'm in love with the hero, not the actual person type of thing, (laughs) Um, which I guess in itself is sort of just strange. So this can be strange and not weird at the same time. But um, God, God, it's James, James, James. I just want to talk. Just want to (laughs) talk. I know. I know. I know. Uh, I know. Stay I down know. there, James. Yeah. The the deep yep. sea needs you. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yes. Yep. 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 I maybe under maybe get a peek into the brain of the man who like has had two women divorce him and not have good things to say about him after divorcing him. <laughs> not well, like terrible. Not like terrible. Sure. Like Me Too stuff. Just like that. He was a very incompatible person to be with. Right. Just like he's a fucking weirdo. <laughs> Well, the thing that's so strange about all this is that when you see the full picture, you get it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, yeah. I, I'm fucking weirded out by it, but I get it. Like, I see what he's doing. Nothing he's doing is incompatible with anything else he has done so far in this same movie. Yeah. It's just like, like, take a cold shower, James. <laughs> Like, my goodness. Um, wow. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. Also, it's yep. just hilarious how poorly he writes this sex scene. Like, Dude, it's so bad. This is the worst foreplay I've ever re- read. I don't know. What, what foreplay am I reading? It's just bad. Uh, I don't know if he's ever had sex before. Like, maybe that's, <laughs> I don't, maybe that's the problem. I don't, I don't no, know. No, he's probably had sex. He's just shitty at foreplay (laughs) oh yeah that's probably part of the problem (laughs) yeah yeah probably he doesn't know how to like get the mood (laughs) set (laughs) james oi well luckily sex with spider-man makes mj way more confident and like true to herself of course Uh, yeah at one point she like lets a tarantula walk over her hands in science class and her (laughs) friends are like ew and she's just like i'm my own strong independent woman now and this tarantula is fucking sexy (laughs) (laughs) oh god damn it oh god (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) jesus christ yeah yeah um well (laughs) okay oh oh god okay okay so strand figures out that she's spidey's lover and kidnaps her and frames spider-man for the kidnapping so leads us to the 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 kind of end game of the movie um we're in the end game now in the end game now he has spidey meet him on top of the world trade center 
Strand also kills his lover that he resurrected before. Again? For some reason, again, like it doesn't resurrect her this time. I don't remember why. To also frame Spider-Man for murder, that seems very unnecessary. But yeah. that also happens. But yeah, they they meet on top of the World Trade Center. Strand has a villain monologue that's like super close to the Green Goblins. He even does the whole like people love. The only thing they love more than a hero is to see that hero fail, fall, screw up, which yeah. I think it's really similar to Green Goblin's lines in the Raimi movies. That's was definitely kind of uh, carried over. And he's still doing the temptation of Peter thing, or trying to, while MJ is up there. <laughs> this is a funny bit where there's a point where um, MJ like looks at Peter and it says, it is impossible to read his, ex- his, his expression through the mask from her perspective. Fucking Though by clever, duh. Uh, 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 in parentheticals, he says, Though by clever lighting, we will be able to see the uncertainty in his eyes. What? How? What? What? So, what is... Okay, I need to know James Cameron's vision for the... What do you call the eyes on the mask? But I need to know what he thinks they're made of. I think that he... <laughs> did not know either and was figured he'd figure it out on set maybe i don't cuz cuz there are i mean there are materials that if he wanted to make the mask eyes out of you could do clever lighting stuff with um mm-hmm. i think it would look terrible yeah. Uh, yeah but you could do it yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know um yeah so uh, the fake web shooters come back into play where strand is uses them he figures out that peter has natural webbing like he tested it earlier or something figured out it's natural Hmm. rips off the fake web shooters to show that peter has the little like thorny things that shoot out webbing (laughs) your hero has a boner yep (laughs) he does it in front of mj to like freak her out and like embarrass peter to make him feel more isolated i guess and (laughs) jeez that's that's uh hmm okay well, <laughs> interesting yeah. given that particular theme. <laughs> yeah, it's like he rips down his pants and shows him having a boner in front of his girlfriend. Yeah, like, I, I don't I mean I guess much. right. That's what it is. <laughs> so Strand also has a line where he he tries to double down on this theme of Spider-Man like only being a predator and stuff. Where he's like, "There are no merciful spiders. There are no vegetarian spiders. It is now time for you to face and accept your true nature." Hmm. Okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> um, he offers a literal pile of $250 million to Peter and Mary Jane, like sitting on top of the World Trade Center with uh, also Boyd Sandman is there. That's important, important in a second. But sitting there with a pile of money to Peter and Mary Jane is like, join me and like be one of my henchmen and I'll give you all of this money, um, including more. Peter, however, references the last time that he stole money and is like, I crossed the line then, I know that there are lines, but I learned that there are lines you don't cross, and remembers that he, like, threw all the money onto the neighborhood. Um, (laughs) So he's like, that's my lesson. And I guess he sort of is referencing Uncle Ben, because he's sort of like, sometimes you don't know where the line is, and you have to learn where the line is. But Uncle Ben, again, in this one, kind of like in the last script, like, doesn't really make that much of a difference on Peter, it seems like. Um, It's really weird. Yeah, so he's like, there are lines you don't cross, so I'm not going to accept it. So... (laughs) In retaliation, Strand uh, grabs Mary Jane and forcibly kisses her multiple times uh, to electrocute her via kisses multiple times. Uh, Yay! Aren't you glad we did this? (laughs) I am. I just hate it. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. 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 
you know, Spider-Man's able to rescue her from the, the electrocuting kisses and kind of saves her from it. And, and he's and they're running away. And Mary Jane turns to him and says, I love you. And Spider-Man says, cool. Wait, what? I think they're trying to do like a Star Wars I love you, I know moment where he says cool instead of I love you back. But it has no. It doesn't work. Doesn't work. (laughs) Doesn't doesn't work work. at all. (laughs) Doesn't work. That doesn't even have like. There's something very particular about the "I love you, I know." Well, it makes sense for Han Solo's character to say it, and like what Leia and Han's dynamic had been up to that point, and like the catharsis of that. Like it makes sense. Yeah, but like even just the words themselves, like "cool," does not have the same. True. Sort of meaning as I know. Like that that means something between those two people. (laughs) Right. Well, it's like anyway, because he could have read it like cool or he could have read it like cool. Either way, it's not good. I guess that's true. It still doesn't have that that same. It doesn't. You know, it's one of those things where it's like there are some lines that say so much more than the words that are actually coming out of that that person's mouth. Yeah. I love you. I know is one of those moments. He's saying I know, but you 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 like get everything that that comes crashing down with that. I don't know how cool yeah. pulls that off. <laughs> no matter yeah. how he says it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. It's bad. I mean unless the, unless it was meant to be a callback line, but if it were, that would have already been written into the scriptment. Like that would have been the point of the call. Cool. Oh, that's true. I could have missed it. Uh maybe maybe he says so- that something like that earlier. Eh, I mean, that's possible. Maybe. It's still not good. <laughs> no, it's still not good. <laughs> it's just the only explanation I could think of where it might actually work. Yeah, well, big fight commences. It's a complicated fight sequence, like super complicated. I don't know how they could have pulled it off. Lots of falling off buildings and jumping around buildings and knocking radio towers down and electricity and sand and everything. But hmm. Spidey tricks Strand, Strand into shooting Sandman with like his super lightning and it turns him into molten glass. That's oh. how he defeats Sandman. I was just wondering how that was going to kind of play out with the two of them in the same same sort of fight sequence. Yeah, so that's cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, I get that. I'm sure. I'm sure if if the effects were good, they it, they, it would have looked cool. It would have just been very complicated. Yeah. There's also an equally complicated action sequence that I had a hard time following. Um, but there's a lot of falling off the building between Strand and Spider-Man. The crux of it is that eventually Strand ends up like falling and hitting a metal beam really hard, hard enough that it kills him. So. Oh. Yeah, they have a little uh, Peter and and Peter like unmask in front of them as he's dying and. And Strand is like, so you're, are you in high school? And Peter's like, yeah. And, and Strand's like, unbelievable. And then he dies. So, <laughs> I, I mean, that, that does actually feel like pretty Spider-Man like where he like accidentally yeah. kills his adversary. I think it makes sense. Yeah. 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 And then Don't Peter really pushes... understand why they're on the World Trade Center though, if they're not going to do something specific with that. Aside from I it think being it's... like an icon of the city. Well, I think they use the, the, the little radio tower things on top of it oh. a couple times in the action sequence. Okay. But again, it's like one of those things where it's sort of like you can't – it's hard to like describe it. I, you know, like I me guess, describing a description would be even worse. Like it's just action-y stuff. But I guess there would have been like cool shots from that. I mean if you're at the highest point in the city, you get the yeah. entire backdrop of Manhattan – um, yeah. And if you think this is so corny, but if you even think of just like going to the top of like Avengers Tower or going to the top of Freedom Tower in the PS4 version, mm-hmm. it's like pretty, pretty striking. So I, I get it. Yeah, makes sense. Fun fact, in the end of the Enter Electro Spider-Man game for like mm-hmm. the PlayStation, the final battle with Electro, they borrowed it from this where they're fighting on top of the World Trade Center. Oh, 
and then they had, and then the game came out like right around 9-11, so they had to like hastily re-edit it. So like they're on top of two buildings that they just like add a little connective tissue to it. Okay. It still looks a lot like the top of the World Trade Center, but they just add, like, don't say that it is. or something? Yeah, it's like a skywalk thing between the two. Huh. Um, and, they, and they don't show, they like cut out any like outer view of it. It's just like a building, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just a bit of trivia. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Peter, also having learned his lesson, in a big moment, he pushes the mound of money off of the top no! of the World Trade Center. <laughs> so it rains dollars, rains $250 million <sighs> onto the city. Stop. I mean, this is a little better than earlier, but stop raining money on people. That is, it's, it's. Uh, better than the first instance but the fact that it happens twice in this movie it's like a big moment it's just like it's a big callback and it's like that was peter's defining moment basically <laughs> mm, shouldn't have been <laughs> really shouldn't nope, have I been agree. <laughs> i agree it's annoying it's annoying we're almost done with this back at school peter uh peter goes back to school after that you know mj is all beat up peter's all beat up and he officially reveals himself to her as spider-man by like speaking in the spider-man voice oh, um, <laughs> oh i was hoping maybe that's what cool was darn it okay because <laughs> that's how cool could have made sense you know yeah yeah but yeah so they and you know they kiss flash catches them kissing and tries to get in a fight with peter again this time instead of peter just like beating the shit out of him <laughs> he does a bunch of like clever dodges and and clever little things with his webbing to get flash to just like fall a lot and, and look like he's missing punches and, and stuff to look dumb sure. without actually hitting him showing that he's learned to not just like cross a line and beat the shit out of people anymore basically ah, there um, you go. to show that he's grown Good job, Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't mind that little button. There's an epilogue after all this where Peter and MJ are going to different colleges. So it's after high school. But, you know, they're still seeing each other on weekends and everything's good. And Peter's still fighting crime. Um, and the last line of it is Peter's voiceover saying, it's not easy being your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Takes it out of you. Well, it's a school night. Gotta fly. Be good. Then it ends. <laughs> that doesn't exactly like. It's. I... Yeah. It's that's it's clunky. I guess okay. I guess we're so affected by the current state of superhero movies, so I have to put myself in the place of pre-Iron Man and think about how the Raimi Spider-Man movies ended. Mm-hmm. But that's such a that's such a bow. Like that's such a bow on the yep. end of the whole thing. Yep. Where it's it's weird that there's like no there's there's. They could easily make a sequel, but it's weird that there's no, like, open-endedness to it. Yeah. Like, I think the very last shot is him, like, jumping down to go web-slinging. So, like, there is still that, but, like, but it happens. It's not a, it's not, he didn't write it to be, like, a full sequence of web-swinging. It's just, like, he says he lines and then he jumps and that's it. Okay. So. Eh, Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. So, that's the movie. But there's, you know, uh, there is financial and legal problems, apparently, or supposedly what stopped this. Um, and, and Carl Co. ceased uh, active production and let the rights expire, just like every <laughs> other version did. Um, it wasn't the fact that they tried to take most of the sex out and Cameron was like, no! Could be. We don't know if, the, if that's the real story or not. So who knows? Uh, and I don't think, I mean, I don't think Cameron's really talks about it that much. That was so going like, my next question. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I mean, it could have been a bad blood situa- situation. He also could be embarrassed by it and was just like, no, yeah, actually, that was, that was a weird point in my life, and it was pretty bad, and I'm glad I didn't do it. I don't know. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. If I ever meet James Cameron, 
I promised to ask him about that time he wrote that teenage sex movie. And when he's like, wait, which one? I'm going to say Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, Do you like this one better or worse than the canon one? Okay. So the things that I hate about James Cameron's, I hate on a more like visceral level but I would be lying if I said that his movie wouldn't have made way more sense actually as a movie and yeah. had far more potential to be a successful movie that like people enjoyed and took seriously. So, I mean, if I have to give one of the two the point, it's it's going to go to James Cameron. Sure. I just the stuff I hate about it, I hate so much. The only thing that makes me feel OK is that I, I don't think most of the stuff I hate would have made it into any sort of final cut. Yeah, that's the thing is it's so hard when you're judging by screenplays at this point because, like, it's always going to look so different. I mean, I consider, like, I think that's important to keep in mind with this because, like, the Spider-Man 2 original script, I think, had, like, a chip that took away Peter's powers that he, like, installs in his neck. Oh, an inhibitor chip, if you will. An an inhibitor chip that Otto gives him, yeah. Oh, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, that takes away his powers and, like, Otto was going to be, like, a young guy that was in a love triangle with Peter and Mary Jane. Whoa. scripts can be very bad and turn into really good movies. Sure. Um, and, and I do think with Cameron's script way more than the Canon script, I see a really interesting core to his movie um, and a lot of really interesting ideas. Obviously things worked in it because they made it into the Raimi movie. Yes. Script, uh, later on. So like, whereas like really nothing from the Canon movie script went anywhere. Well, so One of these two movies has a clearer understanding of what Spider-Man is and has a vision that clearly translates into the script, even if it is weird at times. The other one is the canon production. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't understand why the significant events of Spider-Man were these significant events, and you, you don't understand what they're trying to do simply from the script. I get what James Cameron was trying to do. You know, that Mm -hmm. comes through. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Hmm. Yeah. I still, I would love to see the ultimate universe where we get to see his final product just to see like what it would turn out to be. Uh huh. Cause you know, the dude makes good movies most of the time. Well, that's the thing. Like it would have been well done. Like it it wouldn't have been a disaster. I can't imagine it would have been a disaster. Yeah. He's never had it. Even his worst movies are still like good movies in some way, you know, like his worst movies are like, the Abyss, which is still really good. Yeah. And arguably to some people, Avatar, which is still a beautiful movie and a movie that a lot of people love. So, like, you can't. Right. I mean, Avatar is also hard because it's like you have it's, to really consider what situation. was attempting to be accomplished. And I think it accomplished right, exactly. exactly what it was trying to do. Yeah. So, I think that's his most divis- divisive movie, sure, I should sure. say. Everything else has always been like a huge hit <laughs> that, like, is generally beloved. Or, you know, considered to be, like, a great movie, even if, like, like there are naysayers to Titanic, but, like, people fucking love that movie when it came out. You know what I mean? Like, I think Titanic's a great movie, and people are dumb and trying to be contrarian by saying they don't like it. But, sure. like, every movie he's ever made is, is, is essentially, in some way, either been, like, perfect, amazing, or great or good at best. You know what I mean? It, it sounds so, like the worst case scenario for this movie in the universe where it gets made is that it is a success as a piece of cinema, but maybe people just didn't vibe with it. Like, th- yeah, I feel like that definitely. would be the worst case scenario is like, James Cameron made a good movie that people didn't like. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, right. I guess it, it still wouldn't have been a box office failure. It just means maybe he wouldn't have made another one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's, yes. That's, that's pretty good for a worst case scenario. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> man. Man. Uh, so weird. We need Such that a... dimension hopping machine so we can see all of them. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I know. Uh, <sighs> well, well, the next final two installments of this little mini series are going to be a lot more familiar to people because, you know, the history of what happens after the James Cameron movie is that Columbia gets the rights and Sam Raimi makes a certain trilogy that everyone knows. Ah. And then there was to be a fourth one. And we will get into that next time. Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to thank our spectacular enough patrons, Bo, Eric, Steve, Carl, Katie, Mike, Lillian, and Douglas. If you would like to support our show too, our way of saying thanks is by giving you lots of cool Spidey goodies. You'll have early access to all our episodes, including our AMAs, where we answer your burning questions about anything and everything. And we mean everything. If you join us at our $5 spectacular level, you get to hear us let loose and talk about wackier stuff in our After Dark commentaries or our movie commentaries, where we watch every single Spidey-related theatrical film, from the Raimi films to Amazing Spider-Man to Spider-Verse, Venom, Avengers Endgame, and more. And at our amazing tier, we'll invite you to be a guest on our show. That's right, you. You all make our show better, whether it's by sending us Word Snappers words, making us fan art, joining our Discord community, or just listening to us every week. This is our way of saying thank you for supporting this show and inspiring us to dip into media even we didn't realize was on our radar. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate you. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. This time we are talking about Spider-Man 4, the sequel to Sam Raimi's trilogy of Spider-Man movies. Yes, the, we actually live in the universe where this this movie was supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's got much farther along than any other movie we talked about, uh-huh. really, too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. So, uh, back in 2007, Spider-Man 3 is obviously, like, a, a, a divisive movie, to say the least. But regardless <laughs> of how what people think of it, it did like extremely well. Like it still made a shit ton of money. So the most money, the of most those three, exactly. And and I think of any Spider-Man movie until mm. wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was of any until, until Far Tom from Holland. Maybe I think it might have been until Far from Home. Actually, oh. I don't know. If, I don't think Homecoming beat it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the thing that's so weird about Spider-Man Three is as divisive as it is, and as hated as it is among certain. Like, uh, certain folks, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a wildly successful movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, they were going to keep on pumping out the Spider-Man movies in spite of that. So Spider-Man 4 went in development in 2007, the year that Spider-Man 3 came out. So there was no no gap about it. Right from the get-go, Raimi was still attached to direct. Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst were set to come back. Other supporting cast members were set to reprise their roles. It was all just like rolling. Nobody, nobody was gonna was gonna was gonna leave that cash cow <laughs> at this no. point. No, why would you? <laughs> regardless of what they thought of the last movie, so yeah, all set to reprise their roles. So there's been a couple of back and forths um, about this, but. It was said that a fourth and fifth film were planned to shoot like back to back or concurrently, mm-hmm. 
Sam Raimi himself has since said, like in 2009, he said that actually only a fourth film was in development, and it was actually a fifth and sixth film that that were kind of in the works from the studio, like from Sony. Uh, they wanted those two films to be filmed back to back. Raimi himself, I don't think, had an idea for like a back to back movie yet, so he was like, oh, "Let's hold your horses. We're not going to do that yet." Sure. So those would be a continuation of each other. So initial reports were that uh, David Cope, who wrote the first film, was going to write the script. Um, but then James Vanderbilt uh, was hired to pen the screenplay. Um, he's a writer. He was a writer of Zodiac. He went on to write Amazing Spider-Man 1 and is credited on the story of Amazing Spider-Man 2. Hmm. So the script was then rewritten um, by a couple of people, including David Lindsay Abair, who is a playwright that I've actually met a few times um, oh. through my, uh, my my side job at my local theater because he is he's done some like stuff in classes and workshops here, and we've put on a number of his plays, oh, including Kim- cool. uh-huh. Kimberly Akimbo is a really good show that I love. Um, Rabbit Hole is another play that also became a movie recently. Um, that's another good one. However, in film, in addition to the movie adaptation of rabbit hole he's also written robots and you're gonna love this he wrote rise of the guardians oh yeah nice i, st- <laughs> I like that still have not seen right. that still have what not are you seen doing it. i don't know i keep forgetting i need to add it to my media list let's keep yes to add that. i'll do that after we're done recording <laughs> Gary Ross was also rewriting the script. He he wrote for other Tobey Maguire movies uh, like Pleasantville and Seabiscuit. He also wrote Big and The Hunger Games. So oh. Oh. yeah, so they have a lot of um, a lot of a uh, lot of uh, you know big big writers involved in this. Like talented. It's not a surprise. Talented writers makes sense, right? Also, just as of note, Vanderbilt was apparently already preemptively attached to write the scripts for Spider-Man 5 and 6. So they really wanted to – Sony, I think, more than Raimi, really wanted to get moving on this being like a whole new trilogy, basically. Sure. So there are various reports and interviews that have said that Raimi was interested in Dr. Connors becoming the lizard, which makes sense. It was makes all a lot of sense. Kind of set up. Dylan Baker was on board to return, and he wanted to be the lizard. So like everybody was down with it. Other reports noted that there would be a storyline with Peter and MJ having a wedding and Vulture would be the main villain. Like Lizard would, would maybe be like the supporting villain, but Vulture would be the main villain. John Malkovich was in negotiations to play Vulture. Oh. Which would be perfect. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I like it. Uh-huh. And it's also, I mean, it's worth noting um, that Vulture was originally who Raimi wanted in Spider-Man 3, like in the Venom role. As sort of like Sandman being the sympathetic villain and then Vulture being like just like the pure evil awful villain. Um, And then Venom ended up playing that role because the studio wanted Venom. So I think at the time Ben Kingsley was going to be Vulture. Ooh, which also would have been great. Two very good ideas. Yes. Uh. So Raimi really wanted Vulture. So that's why he's like, damn it, guys, (laughs) we're doing Vulture. You saw what happened when you didn't let me do Vulture last time. So we're going (laughs) to do Vulture this time. Just trust me, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, John Malkovich is Vulture. Love that. And Anne Hathaway as Felicia Hardy. Yes. Yeah. I would be here for it. I'm of the opinion that she was a very, very, very stellar Catwoman in Dark Knight Rises. I very much agree. It's interesting that in the universe where Spider-Man 4 gets made, I don't know how confident I am that she would have gone no. on to play Selena Kyle. They wouldn't, like, have, they wouldn't have let her. That would have been, nope. it would have been, yeah, that would have been a poor career move for sure. I mean, yep. it wouldn't have been a poor career move, but I don't think that anyone would have let that happen because it would have been too, too much. Right. 
she probably would have been under contract to come back in Spider-Man 4 and 6 and then couldn't have made – or 5 and 6 True. and couldn't have made a Dark Knight movie. So Yeah, because I can't imagine that character would have been limited to just the one movie. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So where reports get confusing, but I think clears up a little bit when you hear what was really going on, there was a script treatment that was leaked online. Mm. I think it was this was after the movie was already canceled. So this was fairly recent, I think. What I believe happened is that this was one of the with story elements that Sony wanted, but Raimi didn't want because it doesn't line up with what he said he had wanted in the film. Um, and supposedly, the, this is like from reliable sources. From what I've read, is that it's like from people who have leaked scripts before that are authentic. So it makes sense that this would be an authentic script. So in it, Peter and Mary Jane are already married. It takes place about five years after Spider-Man Three. Not only are they married, they have a kid. Oh. Over the course of the movie, though, Peter starts to realize that he's falling out of love with Mary Jane. He meets Felicia Hardy, and he cheats on Mary Jane with Felicia Hardy. Whoa. That escalated quickly. Uh-huh. Um, so with Felicia, there's this, depending on, like, I guess the version of the script or version of the reports you're reading, um, I think in the script, it's different than, like, what Raimi said. So in this, in the script that leaked, she's, like, the vulture's daughter or goddaughter or something, and instead of becoming Black Cat, she becomes the Vulturess. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh... Hmm. <laughs> it's strange. Um, well, the one thing that I was that I was thinking was, like, this all would be happening after Mary Jane had already seen Peter kiss Gwen Stacy <laughs> at that celebration. Yeah. So, like, to have him then also... I mean... I, he he clearly views that in a different way than the rest of us do. Yeah. Um. But having him then cheat on her after that really makes for a right. a shitay Peter Parker. Uh-huh. Yeah. How <laughs> I do you... don't know that that's a character you really want to root for, even though I'm sure they have a way to get us to that point. Like, how could you not hate him, right? Like, yeah. And especially, it doesn't make sense for Toby's. Peter Parker. You know what I no, mean? No, no, really, really doesn't. Like uh, Spider-Man three, you know, obviously for all its flaws, I think that they did, they worked really hard for the act one, Peter, like pre black suit, Peter to like rationalize why he would be acting as shitty as he was acting. Like yeah. his perspective was just really skewed to him. He didn't realize he was doing anything wrong. He was just kind of like on his own shit basically. Yeah. This there's no explanation for it. You're married with a kid. Like what? <laughs> yeah, no, that makes him makes him. It's funny too, because it's like, I know it's like comparing offenses, but like the more they pile on to that situation, the worse it ends up being viewed by a public. Right. So right. like the fact that he's married, the fact that he's been married for five years, the fact that he has a kid, it all yeah. compounds to make him even shittier. Right. It's also interesting that this ends up being the vulture-ess. <laughs> Um, because I, I really am curious to know what that looks like. I don't know. I know part of it is affected by the fact that I understand Black Cat already mm-hmm. and Black Cat's character has sort of flirting and sexuality just sort of like baked into her. Right. Um, so it's like, you just sort of get it right away. Nothing to say they couldn't do that with Vulture S, but I'm very Sexy curious to know lady. like- <laughs> right, right. There's something like like Catwoman is also very sexy because feline attributes tend to be sort of sexy. Yeah. Um, they sort of translate in that way. Vultures eat 
carcasses you know like (laughs) like i'm i'm curious to know how they would have made her sexy it's anne hathaway so it wouldn't have been hard yeah but it's still just a funny thing not having seen anything to sort of display their vision to us (laughs) yeah 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 Uh. yeah um yeah vulture is still part of this um obviously and uh at some point peter or spider-man like fights vulture and he kills him i don't know if he these like... are these are the studio's points yes. right yes this okay. is not what just... raimi wanted <laughs> That's... um I... she makes clear I just later. really needed to be super sure <laughs> yeah he kills vulture i it's, i'm assuming it's probably an accidental thing but it's still i pisses... hope so i think well, otherwise like why does sony hate peter parker so much right, right. <laughs> it pisses everybody off obviously like mm-hmm. felicia is pissed at him for killing her dad or godfather or whatever and you know mary jane finds out that he was cheating on her and she abandons him and takes his kid to los angeles with her and leaves him she rightfully leaves him rightfully leaves him and peter decides <laughs> out of depression to once again have a spider-man no more movement moment and cool quit being spider-man and that's how the movie ends <laughs> i guess wait. setting up the fifth one <laughs> wait 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 what that's what sony wanted that movie to be uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> That uh-huh. would be an infuriating ending to a movie. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> also, reportedly, Electro might have been involved in some way. Uh, I think he was, he, was, he was tossed around as villain, too. Just I mean, to... I guess I wouldn't be surprised, given that he makes his way into the Amazing movies. Yeah. But I just... Wh- Everything okay. is bad. Everything is terrible, right? Here's the thing that I don't understand, right? Like, correct any part of this that I'm getting wrong, um, because I am not nearly as researched on this, but... You had already referenced in this this podcast that Venom was very much a studio desire, yeah. right? It was not a thing Raimi really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I know that the movie made a butt ton of money, but I, well, nope, I just thought about it and I get it. Like, the studio is going to take credit for the butt ton of money it made based right. on the decisions they made. That's all they're going to see. Mm-hmm. Cause what I'm thinking is like, why aren't you just trusting Raimi? Like he's, he, he made the better two movies of the trilogy, mm-hmm. but from their perspective, he made the two movies that made less money. Fuck. Yep. 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 I hate yep. that so much. Isn't it awful? It's terrible. It makes yeah. me so mad because here's the thing that I don't think they realize, right? Like, Spider-Man 3 made a butt ton of money, but the fact that it's so divisive doesn't necessarily translate to the same amount of success from the next movie. Mm -hmm. And we see that happen with movies. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, I I wish I could think of an example off the top of my head, but I'm not pulling out of my butt the fact that after a divisive movie that makes a bunch of money happens, the next installment isn't necessarily an automatic success because people saw the movie, not knowing what they were getting decided, Oh, maybe this series is going downhill and then don't see the next one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The thing that happens. I think that's sort of already happened with the, uh, the DC movies, like Mm -hmm. justice league did not make as much considering it's a fucking justice league movie. (laughs) It did not make very much money because, because it was a very deeply intertwined with Batman versus Superman with a lot, which made a fuck ton of money, even to a lesser degree. The, the birds of prey movie hasn't been like a giant hit. It is still, it's already made back its budget internationally, I think. So it's not a flop. Like a lot of places are saying it's still doing okay. Yeah. Can I interject a really good point I saw on Twitter just in case? Yeah, sure. Uh, I know this at the, by the time this is released, this conversation is already over, but like 
Birds of Prey didn't cost a lot to make. Yeah, exactly. So, like, like it'll people's be measurements are, like, pissing me off, where they're like, oh, it made so much less money than the others. Right. Like, yeah, it also cost barely anything comparatively. <laughs> right. It's, uh. yeah, it's it's a stupid argument. It's not a flop. It's not, quali- it's not, that's not what you would consider a bomb or a flop. It right. might be, like, a middling movie in terms of its profit. Yeah. Maybe it might end up like that, but it's Who not knows? a flop. <laughs> Regardless, it is still worth, like, I think that the reason it wasn't just a giant, huge sleeper hit was mm-hmm. because people did not like Suicide Squad. And it is, right. unfortunately, coming on the heels of that. So, right. you know, like people aren't going to watch stuff when they know that they didn't like the last one most of the time, yeah. unfortunately, even if the sequel is a lot better. Like people just don't have enough trust. And I think that they have less loyalty than we give them credit for sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Oh, that's so infuriating. Yep. Yep. <sighs> yeah. Well, one and, and a, a big piece of evidence that the the script that was going that like people referenced that was going around um, wasn't ra- that Raimi didn't like is because in very recent years, I think in like 2013, um, which actually it's not that recent. It's like eight years ago. But, you, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. more yeah. recent times, um, Raimi said that that he always intended uh, Hathaway's Hardy to definitely become Black Cat. There was never going to be a vulturess thing. So. I That's think, so weird. Who? Where did that come from then? I think someone... Like, who at the studio's idea was that? Not even that it's a terrible idea. It could have been fine. Mm-hmm. I, we're seeing that in the Miles Morales comic, they're doing something similar to that with Miles. Mm-hmm. It works so far as we've read. But I just want to know, like, what studio exec was like, I know what we should do with these characters. <laughs> right. Right. Like, I, again, I don't know who these, these people are making these decisions, but when you don't know, like, it's, I think it's understandable to have the reaction of, like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> right. Right. <sighs> it's so, yeah, it's very frustrating because it's like, you see what's happening. It's the exact same thing that happened with Spider-Man 3. Like, <laughs> the problem mm-hmm. with that movie, you know, like, too many, yeah. too many hands in the pot trying to force their ideas and none of them really jiving. And it's like... <laughs> Just the dude made two good movies. Let him make two good movies. But right. they didn't make as much money. Like you said, that's always what it comes down to. Which is wild because they still made a fuck ton of money. Right. It's stupid. Those movies. It's <laughs> stupid. It's an ego thing too, you know. It it's- has to be. I mean, they, they probably just saw the billion dollar mark getting closer and closer, which at the time was not like every other movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think it made like 800 some million dollars. Uh, something like that. The third movie, which huge, mm-hmm. huge. I mean, that put it in, like, probably the third or fourth spot of movies ever at some point, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, I think so. Yeah. It, it at the time, was one of the most successful box offices ever. Yep. So I, I get it from their perspective, but it's just like, oh, you're paying attention to the wrong thing. Yep. <laughs> That's sort of like the story that gets told many, many, many times <laughs> with the executives, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, boy. Well, I do have some cool things about this movie, though. Yeah. So relatively in the last few years, um, filmmaker Jerry Henderson, who worked on making the storyboards for the movie, um, released some of his storyboards. Oh, cool. And they reveal some really cool stuff. Nothing like hugely mind-blowing or anything, but some really, really cool aspects of it. I'm going to send you the first uh, couple of them. Okay. Yeah. So... In this first couple, they reveal, and he Henderson backs this up, that uh, Mysterio was going to be in like a really small supporting role at the beginning of the movie. 
and he would have been Bruce Campbell's cameo. Oh, okay. Bruce Campbell would have been Mysterio getting caught at the beginning of the movie. It would have actually been part of this like montage of of Peter or Spider-Man stopping a bunch of villains who at the time were considered like C and D list villains. Um, sure. Things like Mysterio and the Shocker and Prowler. Um, they said there would be like an old school onesie wearing version of the Rhino, <laughs> maybe even like Stilt Man, like pull out some fun deep cuts that, that they felt like wouldn't be the main villain in a Spider-Man sure. movie, but that they could just kind of throw out, which I think would be really smart to like build up goodwill from anyone who was like felt burned by spider-man 3 to be like we're gonna do an old school spider-man movie right now yeah 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 i think that'd be cool i i uh can we talk about this mysterio body type Uh for a moment oh yeah oh yeah oh no i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna to breeze past that don't worry (laughs) i mean i think it's i think it's uh it's doing bruce campbell a little uh a little bit of an injustice here but uh I like this drawing. <laughs> yes, yes. He's drawn very heavy and paunchy, like very uh-huh. round. Um, yep. It's definitely, it would definitely be like a very comedic take on Mysterio. You know what it looks like? It looks like Paul Giamatti as as Mysterio. Yes. <laughs> That's what that yes. body type is. It's straight up, straight up Paul Giamatti. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, he should be in every single role ever in the world. So, That's yeah. true. I'd be yeah. here with it. Especially um, in spandex. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. I'd be here for that. <laughs> <laughs> Next couple of storyboards. So Henderson had some notes about the vulture. So the vulture, I think, to a lot of people, like, you know, pre-Spider-Man Homecoming, didn't really consider the vulture that much of a threat. Um, mm-hmm. So they said that their take was going to be, like, classic, but also, like, Hard, kind of as hardcore as they could do. Sure. I have a quote from it that says, the thing we kept coming back to was that as a character, everyone was going to dismiss Vulture as just an old guy in a silly green suit. So we wanted to go the opposite way and really make him the most fearsome and formidable adversary that Spider-Man had faced in the series. What's kind of cool from the storyboards is that I think they, first of all, showing that like Vulture is like very angry and mean and has sharp blades and yeah 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 he does look really menacing in the storyboards and there's a couple bits there's like a, from an action sequence where spidey is like has a ripped costume and is like has glass embedded in him and is like getting beat up um yeah looks real legit <laughs> <My> goodness <laughs> yeah it looks really violent yeah and a bit where with an unmasked peter parker like falling down to earth from like really high up looking to be unconscious which is intense and i don't know how he would get out of that so I think they were going to go really hard on, like, how Vulture would fight and, like, Peter being at a loss, like, if he was really high up. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, kind of doing stuff that they maybe did a little bit with Goblin, but maybe, like, doubling down on it. Like, the Green Goblin, they had air fights. He had, like, blades and stuff. But they didn't really take a lot of advantage of his glider and stuff. Um, yeah. And Vulture obviously doesn't have a glider. He's just a man who is flying. So, yeah. you know, if he can just, like, beat the shit out of Peter Parker in the air and then drop him, like, that's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, – I, I think that makes sense. I think it's a little funny to <laughs> – have them say, like, we want to make him the most fearsome villain he's faced thus far right. only because they already used Venom. Yeah. But we saw how they used Venom. So yeah. um, so I get it. And I think they actually could have pulled it off using those exact techniques. Yes. Also, you know, it's it's funny. I would have also thought that Vulture was a character you couldn't have done all that much cool stuff with. You couldn't have made him, especially, like, 
threatening or agile or do super cool action sequences and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the way that the MCU has used Falcon has me entirely convinced that you could do cool as fuck stuff it's true. with the Vulture. I recently watched Endgame. And I forgot that that Falcon uses both of his wings as blades to <laughs> literally just stab. Like he just like there's like some monster thing, and he just stabs it in the chest with both of his wings. Yeah. Granted, they wouldn't have done that specifically. <laughs> yeah. But they could do really threatening things, um, especially if they do decide to kind of go sort of in the direction of having mechanical or sharp or hard type wings Mm -hmm. or at least like i don't know the parts of a wing but whatever (laughs) the ridgy part is at the top yeah yeah um even if that even if just that was the especially threatening part the sort of knife swordy part Mm -hmm. they could have done could have done sweet stuff or if they just had it you know if they had him shoot sort of like metal feathers out of his wings or something i don't know right it makes sense and this falling to earth shot is cool and they would have done that before captain marvel did by about 15 years (laughs) i guess 10 years that would have been like the final trailer shot (laughs) you know like yep yeah yeah i would have been on board with that for sure I like this uh, this sort of Bruce cameo in the storyboard where yeah. Spider-Man's standing on a gargoyle. <laughs> yeah, it's neat. It's really cool. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, some not great aspects of the movie, but some really cool sounding aspects of the movie. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think that there could have been, I think that there maybe was a good movie within this, but I think Raimi might have had trouble like figuring out what he wanted just a story to be. Like, I don't think he knew what story he wanted to tell, especially given that he seemed to just be kind of like letting the scripts come to him. Like, it seems yeah. like that they would just write scripts and then he'd read them and then just be like, I don't like it, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. So as, as we've been talking about, there was a lot of executive meddling, you know, in addition to Sony kind of trying to push these different scripts and ideas, uh, the film was also being rushed. Like they really wanted to get the movie out Pretty much, I think, around the time, I think even earlier than the time slot that Amazing Spider-Man ended up coming out in. Like, they wanted it out in, like, 2011. Um, Yeah. Uh, Could you make more obnoxious decisions? Right, right. You know, and Raimi has since said, like, I was really unhappy with how Spider-Man 3 turned out, so I was under a lot of pressure to make the fourth film the best that I could. Like, he wants to get goodwill back. And I think that he took the Spider-Man 3, even though it was a financial success, he took the critical failure of it really hard. Like, I think he really took that to heart. So he purportedly went through, like, four iterations of the scripts with different screenwriters and still, quote-unquote, hated it. Hmm. That prompted him to walk away from the project. Um, He said in recent years that it wasn't, like, a mean, bad breakup or anything. Um, Like, there wasn't ill will, but it it was mostly a mutual decision. But, like, I feel like he wouldn't have walked away if he didn't feel, like, under tremendous pressure by every party around him. Sure. You know, instead of being able to just, like, make a movie that he wanted to make. Yeah. And, of course, you know, Tobey Maguire and Kristen Dunst, like, didn't want to reprise their roles unless Raimi was brought back. Um, So the studio was like, if everyone's going to be different anyway, we might as well just cancel it and just do The Amazing Spider-Man. So they rushed into production on The Amazing Spider-Man reboot. I mean, (laughs) under those circumstances, I'm glad that they just opted to reboot instead. Yeah. I do think Amazing Spider-Man turned out to be a good product, given the circumstances. It's better than what Spider-Man 4 would have been considering it sounds yeah. like I don't think there would have been any way for Raimi to have his heart in it. Like, I think it would have just, yeah. 
I feel like it could have ruined his career, honestly, because it would if he did if it was another creatively compromised movie and yeah. everyone hated it again, it would have just been like, oh, well, obviously he's just a bad filmmaker now. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. I just, uh, oh, it's so frustrating. Like, I I know that their job is to make money, but, like, try. Try. Like, there's no reason you needed to, like, push out another movie so fast. Like, I I don't know. I don't know. (sighs) And, again, it's frustrating because I do think that Amazing Spider-Man is a good movie. So, it's like, they still ended up, and it made money. So, it's like, they still ended up getting what they wanted out of all of it. Yeah. They got a movie on their timeline. They made money off of it. It's, yeah, it's movie making is complicated, unfortunately. Yep, yep, yep. You know, well, one other one other piece of trivia for this is that there was already at this time a Venom movie that was in, trying to be getting off the uh, ground. Oh, mm-hmm. tell me more. As early as 2007, right off the heels of Spider-Man 3, even though like most people <laughs> didn't like Venom in that movie, they still wanted to huh. do a Venom movie. Now, um, would this have been a Venom movie somehow with for Grace again? I, I doubt it. So I, I remember I, I, re- I was following this back in 2007, and I remember uh-huh. back in 2007, there was reports that Topher Grace was attached to a Venom movie, uh-huh. but I don't think it was very long before they were like, it'll just be its own movie. You know, sure. uh, I, I feel like they, they wanted to distance themselves from that, um, <laughs> especially because they were yeah. going to do a movie with Venom as an antihero, very similar to what we ended up with eventually years down the yeah. line. Really, there isn't much to this, honestly, other than the, the people that were touching the scripts are kind of interesting. One was written by a guy named Jared Aaron Estes. Um, his main thing is a movie called Mean Creek um, that I've never seen but seen ads for. Um, but the yeah. in- interesting ones are working on the script were Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese, who wrote both of the Deadpool movies. Oh. Uh-huh. That would have been interesting. Okay. Uh-huh. I think that would have worked just fine. That would have been very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think I probably would have liked the tone of that movie better than the Venom movie we got. Pro- probably. If they if they if they went for a similar I mean, they wouldn't go for the same tone as the Deadpool movie, but No, but I think that the irreverence that they clearly brought to Deadpool, which I'm sure is very much helped by Ryan Reynolds' own passion and understanding for Deadpool. Mm-hmm. I think they could have done a Venom movie that was a... Well, yeah, I guess it depends on what Venom movie they're trying to make. But I think the irreverence would have shown through in, in a way that this that it doesn't in, in the Venom movie we got. Like, oh. I don't think that the Venom movie we got is, like, especially irreverent in the way that the comics sometimes are. Yeah, yeah. It tries to be sometimes, but in, the moments that it does are the moments that people, like, really latched on to, like the tater tot stuff and stuff and the lobster scene. <laughs> um, like, that's the stuff people really liked. I'm hoping that they double down on that in the, in the next Venom movie because I think yeah. people really enjoyed that stuff. They're yeah. just, like, okay with just, like, hey, Tom Hardy, just be weird. Just, just yes. be weird and you'll yes. be fine. Like, yes. I, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yes. Venom is fucking weird. Let him be weird. Yeah. 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 And let Tom Hardy be, like, naked a lot. Eddie Brock is naked constantly. That's Why is... so true. And Tom Hardy <laughs> deserves to be naked. Yeah. I'm sure he would love to be. He, he, uh-huh. he would enjoy that. What does he have to worry about? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And the other writer, I shouldn't have left this for last, but Gary Ross, who was working on the Spider-Man 4 script, also oh. wrote it. <laughs> Boring way to end that. Cool. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and that's it for that. It's an it's an interesting kind of tragic story, but it makes sense. It's kind of sad that Raimi's time as Spider-Man just kind of petered out like that. But, yeah. you know, 
I think he made a solid trilogy, um, you know, regardless of how it ended. I think he definitely made his mark on Spider-Man arguably more than any other filmmaker has. So. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, come on. Without those movies, like, what do we have? <laughs> right. Not not what we have. That's right. for sure. <laughs> right, right. So. And he still made two of the best superhero movies. Well, yeah, two of the best superhero movies ever. Whatever. Yeah, like. definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's it for that one. Um, not not the happiest of endings. None of these really have happy endings. But uh, but yeah. So it's also not the not the worst not the worst ending, I guess. No. The other ones, but they're just interesting. Uh, yeah, they're yeah. Not, they're not inspirational stories. They're no. just they're just interesting stuff. No. Right. Right. But you know, as we know, this led into the Amazing Spider-Man movies, which also kind of unfortunately crashed and burned in their own way. And we're going to talk about that next time. Amazing friends, once again for our final installment of our Spider-Man movie miniseries. Aha! Not just Spider-Man movie, but Spider-Man canceled movies. The movies mm-hmm. we never saw. The movies that were not to be for better and worse. Mostly <laughs> for better every time. <sighs> yeah. Maybe, yeah. Even in this case, even in this case, I think. Considering what we ended up with for the better, arguably, maybe we'll see how you feel at the end of talking about what the plans were. Well, it's it's the it's the type of thing where it's like it's for the better based on the reality of the situation. Sure. But I still just end up so bummed because the potential doesn't change. Right. Like the potential for what we could have gotten. You know, last time we talked about Spider-Man 4, the potential for that movie was great it's just the reality was blah, so it's probably better we didn't get it yeah i feel very similarly for this installment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe even more so to to be real crazy <laughs> yeah i think like the the weird thing I, it with spider-man 4 is that i don't feel like anything got as far along as the amazing spider-man stuff did only because this was more planned to be a franchise so like even though, like, we don't have a full script outline or full script that we can look at, there's still, like, a lot of different plans for different things that all work together. So they were kind of building an entire world, which is a different sort of experience seeing an entire world die rather yes. than just, like, one story from one movie die. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, this is where we end up getting Spider-Man movies being developed in the era of the MCU. You right. know? So, like... The the Raimi Spider-Man saga didn't get to the point of a post-Iron Man world. Right. Certainly nowhere near an Avengers world, um, but this one had. So mm-hmm. you kind of saw everything they were building towards based on the experience that we had with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you kind of knew everything they were setting up. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, they announced a bunch of stuff that they wanted to do in the universe, which... Mm-hmm. I get nervous about because we said at the top of this, this is the final installment of this, but uh, mm-hmm. we could have more installments in the future yep. based on how ambitious we know Sony gets yes. when something works. Yes. Um, and they've announced a lot of plans, particularly connected to the Into the Spider-Verse universe. Oh boy. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But for now, <laughs> yeah. we'll just be depressed over this. Or yeah. at least I will. <laughs> yes. 
What and the other wrinkle with these movies is that the Sony hack uh, is a really big player in them because for one, it exposed a lot of information that even with like script leaks and interviews, stuff that we would not have been privy to. So there's a lot of information sure. here that like the the ethics of it are kind of morally gray. Like I don't feel like yeah. we should have been reading people's private emails, but like they're out yep. there and everyone did. So like it's right. too late now. Um, at least it was like their corporate accounts and not like super private ones, I guess. But you know, it's still yeah. not great, but nope. you know, the information is out there. So a lot of this stuff is even less far along than any of the other stuff that we talked about because it's literally just like executives and creatives just like literally just brainstorming and shooting random ideas via email. Stuff that sure. probably would have never coalesced into anything, but it is still a really unique, fascinating look into the brains of the people that are like making the decisions of the media that we make. Even if the ideas never turn into anything, the fact that they had these ideas is very interesting and sometimes a little telling well, <laughs> as well. I mean, does it make sense to talk about that stuff first or the stuff that we kind of know from what the movies we got were setting up? Like how much in line are those things? Um, so I, 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 am, I have it. I have all that laid out in order. So okay, I did cool. think of that in advance because it's all deeply tied. So Amazing Spider-Man 2, it already begins there, obviously, but there's already like almost a canceled Spider-Man movie within the end of Spider-Man 2 uh, oh. or Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> sure. If you have the 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 DVD and Blu-ray of Amazing Spider-Man 2, there's actually mm-hmm. like an alternate ending that's on that Blu-ray. So um, the last few minutes were originally going to be radically different. So after Gwen dies, I think Peter's at her gravesite. Instead of listening to Gwen's graduation speech to encourage him to become Spider-Man again, Peter is instead encouraged by his father, who oh, is revealed oh. to have been alive all along. Cool. So, yeah. Um, Comic book movie deaths, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in this case, actually, like in a vacuum, it wouldn't have been, I don't think that would have been terrible. I don't know. I mean, it's it's weird because the, the parent stuff in Amazing Spider-Man is so weird because obviously it was setting up stuff that, that, that never got to its conclusion that they wanted to yes. go to. And it seems like this was the conclusion that it seemed like they were intending to go to, maybe? But I think it would have gone farther. <laughs> I don't know. I still, to this day, don't really understand, like, what they were trying to do with the Peter Parent stuff. Parents is, well, you know. Yeah, no, I don't I don't necessarily know either. I just, all I, all I can say is I feel like it would have been radically different than anything we would have expected or been used to. And so sure. I, I want to know very, very much um, what a series of Spider-Man movies look like where Peter Parker has his father present. Right. Not just, like, Uncle Ben present, but his father. <laughs> yeah yeah i i do really want to know what they would have ended up doing with that ultimately and and kind of how that plays into the larger universe uh that they had been establishing i mean unless they went right from the comics and his dad was like revealed to just be like a clone or like a, a, a robot thing just oh, like they did in i mean the i hope not i don't you i know? guess i guess the potential is right there for them to do that but yeah. i want to believe they wouldn't have <laughs> yeah yeah I want to believe that the Amazing Spider-Man movies were not going to get to clones anytime soon. <laughs> I mean, they were moving pretty quickly. So I know. <laughs> I know. But there seem to be other things right there at the forefront. So yeah. I don't uh... It's just like for Peter's arc or like I, I don't really understand like how that was going to play into the arc. Sure. The, the scene in the movie doesn't really clarify it. He basically he's like, I've been alive the whole time, but I've been watching you from afar. I don't think it really explains like where he's been or anything. So that's still the mystery <laughs> that's out there. He just uh... you know, survived. 
There's a Power Rangers Dino Charge joke in there that people won't get. Oh, no. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, dads. Uh, uh, Tyler's dad sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so he reveals that he's like, I've been watching you, and I'm so proud of you for the courage you've displayed as Spider-Man. Um, so I guess he knows he's Spider-Man. And he tells him, with great power comes great responsibility. How dare you? Uh, yep, I hate that. Um, however... Yeah, I don't like that. That makes me think he would have been a clone. <laughs> right? Yeah. However, it was not meant to be. Even though it was filmed, Mark Webb, the director, did not actually really like the idea. I think this was kind of pushed on him. And he filmed it, but was still like, I'm not feeling this. It doesn't work for me. Um, his argument being that like it undermines Gwen's death, considering that's a big moment. Mm-hmm. But then Peter like doesn't actually really get over it because his dad just shows up. And it's like, everything's fine now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like, that doesn't, like, Peter's girlfriend just died. That doesn't really, like, that doesn't, like, line up together. Um, he just kind of shows up and fixes everything. Yeah, that would be a weird way f- to introduce his, or reintroduce his father back into things. I think there are ways they could have that wouldn't have been so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they wanted to keep this a thing that happened, it, I'm sure it would have worked into Amazing Spider-Man 3. But, like, it's too much for the end of what's already, like, a pretty messy, overstuffed movie. So. Yeah. Yeah, you can watch that scene on your Blu-ray if you want. Uh, it's there, but it was not. It, but why would you? Just, yeah, why would you? <laughs> Another scene that is not on the Blu-ray, but according to test screenings, was filmed and originally in the movie. The original post-credits scene was going to reveal that Norman Osborn's head was placed in cryogenics, which hmm. was to set up his future role in Sinister Six. Okay. Yep. So. You know, head, I mean, head, head and jar Norman Osborn. Cool. <laughs> I, I don't hate it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Based on like the aesthetic and the vibe of those movies, I really don't hate that. It does. It does fit fit very much in to those movies. Yeah. Yeah. They they sort of strike a comic chord that both the Raimi and the I just always refer to them as Tom Holland movies, which really isn't fair, but <laughs> the 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 MCU universe ones, I guess. Mm-hmm. It, it really hits a comic chord that those two universes don't. That's very true. It, it gets a little wackier in ways that aren't necessarily wacky, but like they're more saturated, they're more colorful, they're more comic booky in ways that the other two universes don't get to that allow for, I think, those types of things to not feel as bizarre as they would have in front of Tobey Maguire or Tom Holland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's an in, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't know. I it, you know I I recently and recently I guess within the past couple of years have have been rewatching the Amazing Spider-Man movies. I mean, just like what half a year to a year ago, they kept coming up on our own podcast, mm-hmm. and they've really like their their place in my heart has grown so much because they aren't as bad as people say they are. I think. Mm-hmm. And they are wacky and weird in sort of a kind of kooky scientist way. Sure. Uh, that I like. That I kind of like. So I don't know. I'm I'm here for cryogenically frozen Norman Osborn head. Sure. Yeah. I think it's it's a, it's I think it's a weird, but like you know, well, why not? Like it would make him. It makes him different from from Harry. Is if you've already got the Green Goblin and Harry, then Norman yeah. in, as a head in a jar is going to be a very different character. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not gonna lie. I think I would prefer that over the Harry we got. So cool. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I want to watch. I need to. I need to rewatch. I haven't watched the Amazing Spider-Man movies in a very long time. I yeah. I, I don't know I, if I watched the second one since I saw it in theaters. Actually, and that's not because oh. I mean I I didn't really like it very much, but I, sure. I liked a lot of stuff about it. Mm-hmm. So that's actually the only one now that I don't own because I just bought like the Steel Book that has like Homecoming, Far From Home, Venom, and Into the Spider Verse. Even though I oh, already owned nice. Into the Spider Verse. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I just need Venom and Far From Home. Yeah, so yeah, I, I would say rewatch Amazing Spider-Man two. I actually really think the first half of that movie is is great. I, <laughs> I, think it's I remember really, like really, in, really good. Enjoying a lot of it when I was watching it in theaters, but I just like going out of it. I was like, I don't know if I like. There's a lot yeah. of stuff that I wasn't into about that. And then like with hindsight, I was more like, I guess I liked it less and less. But you know. Um, and also, like, culture, I'm sure, influenced that because everyone says it's the worst. And I guess, like, for my feelings, com- probably compared to all the other movies, I think I still would probably rank it at the lowest. But that doesn't mean that it's, like, nothing that I like about it, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> there aren't really any truly bad Spider-Man movies yet. Not not in, yeah, not in the same way as, like, Superman 4 is bad or something, yeah. you know? Like, yeah, yeah. They've always, always had a particular vision or a particular or stuff that was good about them or like a good core, even if there was like a lot of really bad, messy stuff. Yes. Oh, there are, yeah, there are messy Spider-Man movies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I definitely, I want to do a full rewatch of like all of them, like Raimi through amazing through the Marvel movies at some point. Now that I own all but one of them, I'll have to get amazing Spider-Man too. Yeah. Anyway, back to this, we're talking about movies that don't exist that we can't watch. What are we doing? <laughs> it's impossible for me not to tangent about Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do a spider bite about it when I like, finally I guess so. It. <laughs> I guess so. So Andrew Garfield himself was working with Alex Kurtzman to write the script. Oh. Or, or at least, like, I don't think Garfield was writing the script, but like sure. he was like, I want to contribute my ideas to this. I want to have a hand in this. Mm-hmm. Kurtzman wrote Amazing Spider-Man 2. He also wrote the Star Trek reboot movies and Transformers. So yeah, makes sense that he'd be involved in this. Garfield had said that he wanted the movies to kind of go back to the base emotional level, um, to really deal with how Peter is dealing with Gwen's death um, and go to really heavy places. So sure. I think they wanted a little bit of a darker spin for it. Both Harry and Norman would have played bigger roles as villains, as like the main villains of Amazing Spider-Man 3. However, this would have taken place after Sinister Six, the Sinister Six movie that I'm going to talk about after this. Oh, Um, I'm blocked by their Twitter account. What? The Sinister Six Twitter account blocked me, and I have no idea when or why. I wonder if it it was like a weird blockchain thing or something. That's weird. I discovered that a couple months ago. That's so bizarre. Uh Uh-huh. Because of all the people, like, you wouldn't have been talking, like, negatively about it, so. Yeah, I don't think so. Weird. Huh. Well, yeah. So um, we'll go deeper into that. But they, they would have also been involved in Sinister Six. So who knows what the developments would have been. I think some reports said that, like, Harry might have might be, like, getting sicker and worse. So, like, that's part of his motivation. I don't know if that's true because it seems like it would have just been a retreat of Amazing Spider-Man 2. So, you know, that's just out there. Avi Arad also hinted that these spider slayers would be involved. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! All right, we're in the better we're in the better timeline. <laughs> that took a dark turn. 
they would have been they would have been cooler than the animated series ones. I'm sure they would have they would have done something cool with them. Especially, I feel like the Amazing Spider-Man movies did do cool stuff with like technology. Like, yeah. his web shooters looked really cool and everything. Yeah, so well, and imagine like been. Rhino's suit. They did that well. I mean, That's it's not true. the way I prefer Rhino to be, but I do think that take on it uh, was cool in the way that they wanted it to be. Sure, sure, yeah. So it would have been, it would, uh, yeah. They would. I actually think they would have been done some cool stuff if they had like robots and stuff. All their villains would have looked so cool. That's true. I, yeah, that's one thing the movie I think did very good. I think I always really like their villain aesthetics for all of them, yeah. even like Electro and like the controversial ones. Oh. The Lizard, I'm not super on board with. I think that's like the weakest villain that they had. Even, well, sure. Goblin, Harry Goblin, I, oh, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. actually, I think that's the bottom <laughs> of the barrel. Uh, yep, yep. I almost feel like that's a thing where they would have improved him in the sequels. Like, I feel like that felt like a really rushed attempt, but yeah. Just give that boy a mask. Yeah. No, no. He's the bottom of the barrel. Lizard's okay, and I see what they're going for, but I wish it was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But other than that, yeah, villains are good. Um, the ideas for villains are good. The aesthetic is good. I, I'm i curious how you feel about this. I'm not into this. Oh, no. According to Dennis Leary, one of the proposed plot elements for Amazing Spider-Man 3 would have been Peter discovering and then using a serum that allows him to resurrect the dead. Um, no, no. Would, he would resurrect <laughs> Captain Stacy, who would have a much bigger role in it, um, and presumably Gwen. But Captain Stacy is the one that was like said to to be like a returning thing. Uh, that okay. I, I, here's the reason I have so many problems with it. I think this is a universe that can do bizarre things, but what? Like, this is such a problem with comic book properties in the first place like just let dead characters be dead and let those deaths have the effect that they're supposed to have on the hero and i know that you can do really fucked up disturbing things with resurrection and presumptive returns of characters that were supposed to be dead but when it's when you can almost expect that characters won't stay dead it's pointless it's just pointless Ugh, that's so dumb i also don't think it's like the type like i can see that there are stories that might utilize that well i don't think they were telling any story like that no (laughs) it doesn't make any sense (sighs) the only thing that i can say is that this was floated around in a lot of articles but dennis leary was always the one that they cited like he's the only one who ever said this so it's also possible that he was just making shit up because it doesn't make any sense but it's so weird it would be a weird thing for him to make up like why would he say that you know I have no idea. That's such a weird thing. Yeah, like he had to get that idea from somewhere, but it's just such a strange idea. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, no, I hate that. Yep. <laughs> That's the type of thing that I would have liked. Okay, I, this is a universe where it, it would have worked if a villain were resurrecting another villain. Yeah. Or a villain were using that to resurrect people they loved. It's weird that Peter is the one doing yeah, it. Yeah. That's, hate that. Hate that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Just a few other spare things about Amazing Spider-Man 3. Uh, Mark Webb really wanted to bring J. Dona Jameson in, in some capacity. No word on, like, who would have played him or whatever. But that that was intended. I think it's a little reference to him, I think, in this, either the first or second movie. But they did want him to actually be in the movie in, in a regular capacity. Yeah. Mar- same with Mary Jane. Um, you know, as I'm sure you're aware of it, but she was originally going to be in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. They filmed a bunch of scenes with Shailene Woodley as Mary Jane. Yeah. Um, and, and then they cut it out of the movie because, you know, there, like I said, a lot of stuff already happened in that movie. I guess they felt like there wasn't room for it. I forgot that she was the one who was supposed to be Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. I think that would have 
been actually i don't like it i'm i'm, I'm glad they cut it they could have recast her i would have been fine with it <laughs> yeah yeah well that's that they would have recast her for the future movies like shailene woodley i'm sure would have done it like i think she said in interviews that she was like i'm bummed but you know i understand but she would have been busy working on the divergent films by the time amazing spider-man 3 was in production Ooh. so they probably would uh, yeah they probably would have had to recast uh, it. she didn't really have great options either way <laughs> i know like i feel bad for her. like everything kind of went wrong around that around those times didn't they yeah <laughs> yeah they really did <laughs> Yeah. Uh, now I feel bad for saying they can recast Shailene Woodley. <laughs> well, I mean, they <laughs> would have had talented. to. I just, I don't know. I guess I, yeah, I, I should give her the benefit of the doubt. She was a weird casting choice for Mary Jane, like for sure, I would say. Yeah, I think that was like a, here's another hip in actress yeah. type yeah. of thing. I mean, yeah. it's sort of the same reason that like Emma Stone's in them, you know? Uh-huh. Even though, you know, Emma Stone would have made a perfect Mary Jane. Like I yes! still, I totally agree with that. It's weird that she wasn't Mary Jane. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of the last bit of casting information for Amazing Spider-Man 3. Um, There isn't really that much about it. What there is significantly more about is the Sinister Six movie that would have happened in between Amazing Spider-Man 2 and Amazing Spider-Man 3. This movie is fascinating. It's definitely like they're trying to do like a Suicide Squad kind of thing. Like I know the movie hadn't come out yet, but like trying to go with that similar vibe, right? Sure. So the Sony hack had revealed a bunch of details about it. And it was originally going to be written and directed by Drew Goddard. He is the director of the Cabin in the Woods movie. Ooh. Um, Have you seen that movie? Yes, I have. I love it. It's great. Phenomenal. Great movie. He's also, uh, he was also a writer on Buffy, Angel, Lost, Alias, The Good Place, and the, the original creator of the Netflix Daredevil. Okay. Yeah, so I... I'm officially convinced that the Sinister Six movie should have happened. (laughs) I I have high hopes. I was, like, very, very opposed to its existence, but knowing that, I'm on board. Uh Uh-huh. So reports of the lineup vary depending on, like, where you get your information, especially given that a lot of this was coming from emails. But what was set up in Amazing Spider-Man 2 suggested Rhino, Vulture, Doc Ock, Mysterio, and Kraven the Hunter with this, like, resurrected head uh, Norman Osborn serving <laughs> as the leader <laughs> um, in some kind of, like, Green Goblin-type capacity. Yeah. Supposedly they would have been brought together by that mysterious guy who's always in the shadows in those movies. Yeah, <laughs> that guy. He's only known as the gentleman. I don't Uh know who he would have been revealed to be, but played some role in bringing them together. However, at other points, Goddard stated that he did want to use a more classic adaptation of the group. So that would have included Sandman and Doc Ock would have been the leader, not Norman Osborn. Also per web, Jamie Foxx might have returned as Electro. I wonder if Jamie Foxx would have wanted to, like if they had him under contract or if he would have just been like, I'm done. So that may or may not have happened. There are also other villain and casting ideas that are out there that are all really fascinating. So um, one idea was to have Scorpia, who is the lady version of Scorpion, essentially. <laughs> okay. She, she does exist in the comics. It's, they didn't yeah. just, like, make that up. But um, they wanted her to uh, – or Drew Goddard actually wanted Emily Blunt or Rose Byrne to play her. Oh. Both would have been fascinating casting choices. I'm um, team Rose Byrne on that one. I, I would – yeah, I would go with Rose Byrne. However, Amy Pascal suggested Amelia Clark – or Elizabeth Olsen before she was cast as Scarlet Witch. Oh. Who was a very, very different vibe. I guess they, she wanted like a younger version. Sure. I still would go with Rose Byrne, I think, out of all of those. Yeah. Of all the options, I would go with Rose Byrne. But I do kind of, I, I could see an Elizabeth Olsen version of that. Yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. 
Goddard also wanted Tom Hardy to play Sandman. Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, honestly, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that makes more sense than than him as Eddie Brock, to be honest. Yeah. Like, yeah. not that I'm, 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 I like, I actually do think that he could be a good Venom in a better movie. Yeah. He's obviously into it, but I think he would have made a really good Sandman. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> this is fascinating. I'm not. I'm so nervous. Uh, Doc Ock. I'm so nervous. Two names being tossed around. It's I'm not as so bad as you, it's, it's not as bad as you expect. It's just weird. I just need my bar to be super low. Sean Penn or Denzel Washington. Ugh. It's not bad. It's just weird. It just wouldn't be Doc Ock. I could sort of see. I could see Sean Penn. I don't like it, but I can see it. Yeah. Denzel Washington would have just been like radically different. Like that would have just been Denzel Washington. Okay. See, there's I don't the think thing he would have done it. Two people like. Oh yeah. Well, one, I don't think Denzel Washington would have done that either. But what's weird about that is like I don't even know how to react because both of those actors would have. I mean, I guess I can't say this with a hundred percent confidence because good actors can do bad things, but. I'm sure whatever Doc Ock they opted to adapt to be played by Denzel Washington, he would have done well. Yeah. But what does that Doc Ock look like? I know. That's the thing I don't understand. It would have been. Sean Penn, I think you could get a little bit closer, but even still, like, I'm not sure what that looks like either. Yeah. It's just weird because, like, Denzel Washington is, like, so cool <laughs> like, well, that's the thing is it's sort of like would they I, would they be going for a cool like heroic doc ock i, I don't know I, I don't know like he's like cool and inspiring and like yeah uh like commanding and well, i mean like, commanding <sighs> works you know but i just I, i'm not sure what they wanted from him in a doc ock role i wonder if they'd be going for like what they were trying to go for with will smith in as deadshot where it's sort of like like it doesn't make sense. It makes more sense for Deadshot than it does for Doc Ock. But in the idea of like taking someone who is like really well liked and charismatic, that like everybody loves Denzel Washington like all the time. Mm-hmm. You don't have to watch any of his movies, and you're just like, yeah, I think I like that guy. Yeah, Will Smith has the exact same vibe, and he's also a very cool guy who is very good at playing a cool guy and being very likable. Even when he's ostensibly playing like a bad guy in Suicide Squad, technically, you just like like him so much that like you're totally on board with whatever redemption arc they're gonna throw at him. I feel like they would have done something similar with Denzel, maybe, where it's sort of like, you know, he has a tragic backstory, but you know, you still just love him. You love him even though he's made mistakes. Like I think they would go in that direction with him. Okay. Here's we we have a thesis on Doc Ock, right? So let's sure. apply it. If if the if the core elements of Doc Ock are simply that he has an ego about his science Mm -hmm. and that he has tentacles that make him scary. Mm -hmm. Can you plop Denzel Washington into that? I think you could. I think you can. Like, I think I, the more I think about it, I think you would have a, it it sounds weird to say, but almost a creepier doc ock simply because I think he would not be a very wordy doc ock. Yeah. I think he is a, I think he, Denzel Washington would probably play, a big egoed sort of like almost reluctant party mm-hmm. in what's going on, but like a necessary piece that isn't pro- like, uh, I, I, I'm seeing it the more I'm thinking about it, but sure. I, I think it would be a quieter, more imposing because of how almost quiet he is given the personalities around him. Yeah. He would have been the straight man in the situation. Yeah. The group. And I get it, which I think could work. It could work. It's not the Doc Ock that I would want to see, but I, it would be no. a, a cool, badass Doc Ock. I, he could I be a very scary that. Doc Ock. Yeah. And if they want Doc Ock to be, like, the leading man of the group, essentially, like, mm-hmm. it makes sense to get someone 
with like the charisma and kind of like aura that someone like Denzel Washington has. Yeah. Yeah. As, yeah. In the leader role, it actually even makes more sense because yeah. then he's sort of surrounded by he's like he's like wrangling right in the way yeah. that spectaculars is yeah that actually would work really really well now i'm actually convinced that denzel washington would make a better doc ock than sean penn sean penn would make a more comics appropriate doc yeah. ock and and he would definitely probably play a quirkier doc ock yes but it would depend on how that doc ock is written yeah that's wild though if those are the two they're considering they had no idea what doc ock they wanted yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> huh. Okay. Uh-huh. So this film was said to be a redemption story for the characters. Um, so there was like back and forth, I think, over how much they wanted Spider-Man involved or if he would like even appear or if they wanted to like keep their distance and then cross over later or something. I don't, you know, um, but I think the most common version was that it would be a case where like Spider-Man is there and then he actually ends up having to team up with the Sinister Six in at least one version, teams up with them to help stop a rip in the space-time continuum. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Don't the, love it. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, the film's climax would have taken place on the Savage Land, and the Six would fight the big bad of the movie, who is Gog, G-O-G. It's this, like, alien dude with, like, this mm-hmm. really—I looked him up. He just has a really weird backstory where, like, Craven found him as a baby, and he was, like, stranded from an alien race, like, on an, in the Savage Land. And then he, like, grows up really fast, and he's, like, super strong and, and gets, like, all the knowledge from his alien race and is, like, really angry and then also has bracelets that, like, let him teleport. Cool. <laughs> they had no idea what they were doing with the Sinister Six movie, do they? I don't think they did. <laughs> But I mean, and I wonder, like, if Drew Goddard had maybe had his own ideas, and they were just having trouble. Sony was having trouble, like, getting people to write it, or or or, or getting like, or well, no, he was writing it. So I don't know. I don't know what was going on with that. Actually. Yeah, how much of this is his stuff, and how much of it is their stuff? Do we know? That I, you know, that's not, I'm not sure because for this one, because the emails are so scattered, and I didn't want to just read all these emails. Sure, I sure. just went by like what sites had compilations of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know if this some of this stuff maybe was from early on and then Drew Goddard became attached and wrote his own stuff maybe. Like, I don't know. These are all just things that were in the air and being talked about as possibilities. I wonder, does it feel to you like the Gog situation is like them trying to be like, how do we have our own Thanos? (laughs) Um... I don't know. I don't know how aware they were of Thanos by this point, though, because this would have been what, like, twenty thirteen, I think, twenty twelve or twenty thirteen, um, probably twenty twelve. Um, Thanos first Thanos, appears in Thor. Doesn't I mean, he? he appears, but like, he doesn't become like a force. Like, he's not a character until Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, True. he doesn't actually do anything. And even then, I don't feel like they were thinking like like they didn't know if Thanos would work. You know what I mean? Like, sure, sure, that's a good point. I think it makes sense, like, Justice League did Steppenwolf and tried to make him kind of like Thanos or, or yeah. you know, vaguely dark side like <laughs> Thanos because because those movies, because that was being built up. I think at this point, they were trying to capitalize on the cinematic universe idea and not necessarily, like, the big bad idea. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I wasn't yeah. thinking timeline. Yeah. Yeah, so all those ideas were kind of floating around, but there were a lot, apparently, a lot of concerns about, like, the budget and the tone and, like, (laughs) apparently whether or not Sony even had the rights to some of the places and characters that were being thrown out. (laughs) Yeah, I believe that. (laughs) Uh So that's when they decided to merge the Sinister Six film with the in-production Venom colon Carnage movie. So, 
So, in 2013, a Venom film was being considered as one of the planned spinoffs of the Amazing Spider-Man series. You know, it's alongside the Sinister Six movies. So, this this fusion idea, I think, was when they were considering to like maybe cons- like include Venom as just a member of the Sinister Six, um, and then you know maybe they could spin off from there or something. So, mm-hmm. Alex Kurtzman was slated as the director for the Venom movie, and they you know. There are already plans for, like, multiple ones. They knew that Venom was popular. They wanted to do a whole series. They're even throwing out the idea of an Agent Venom film at some point. Okay. Don't know what that would have looked like. I do want to see an Agent Venom movie. That I is do a too, thing like, I would love to see. A Venom, like, war movie or, or yeah. spy movie would all be cool. Like, I would yeah. love that. Uh-huh. Channing Tatum was very interested in portraying Venom. He was taken out of consideration when he agreed to star in Fox's Gambit movie that definitely happened. Oh, gosh. Oh, oh comic no! Book uh, movies. I wonder if I wonder if he and Shailene Woodley are friends. <laughs> <laughs> they could use each other. <laughs> yep. Uh, another idea that was thrown out there, and this is one of those situations where this was definitely just a dumb email back and forth that would have pro- never happened. Sure, but it's still funny that it was like thrown out. So, taking a note from the Ultimate Spider-Man comics, Emma Stone jokingly suggested, like. Why don't you bring back Gwen Stacy and make her Carnage? Because that's what Ultimate Spider-Man did. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, Sony exec Hannah Minghella actually liked this idea and took it a little oh, bit seriously. Gosh. Said that it had the potential to be, quote, really cool slash sexy slash intense to see. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Emma Stone doth not know what she nearly wrought upon this world. <laughs> Although I will say I love that that even came out of her brain. I know, right? I, I know. love that. <laughs> I know. It's so good. <laughs> um, but wow. Um, you know, if we believe that every decision we make spawns a new universe. <laughs> the universe that She did that. She did that. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. On that note, though, that wasn't the only plan about bringing Emma Stone back somehow. The other one is fucking fascinating. So another spinoff was going to be a a Silver Sable-centric spinoff. I do remember a little bit about this. Uh So the film would have seen an eager young Silver reluctantly working as the recruiter for his dad's team, which was the Six Pack. But uh, she's like young and she's like, I want to be part of the real group. So her arc is that the Six Pack and Spider-Man are both taken out by Dr. Octopus and Mr. Negative. Oh. Right. So they're both taken out. So Silver is forced to stop them by recruiting her own team. This thing would include people like Raul Quentino and a Somalian heroine named Lightbright. I'm not familiar with either of those characters, <laughs> but obviously they're making some deep cuts. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so he recruits this team in order to save them and stop the villains. This would lead her to team up with a Gwen Stacy played by Emma Stone from an alternate universe who's revealed to be her world's Spider-Woman, which predates the creation of Spider-Gwen. I am floored. Uh-huh. I, I, I now, honestly don't even know what to say about that. You trace the threads, though, and it makes sense because they... Emma Stone was such a boon to these oh, movies in this world. For sure. They kill her off, and I feel like they immediately recognize the mistake that they made in that. Because it's sort of like, we cast, oh. like, the fucking, like, one of the, like, mo- the hippest, like, most beloved 
actors with like young generations. Like that's just like mm-hmm. a rising star who, if we don't keep her under contract, is just going to move on and do bigger and bigger movies and never touch the superhero bullshit ever again. Yeah. So we've got to find some way to keep her in this world. So it makes sense to be like, why don't we just like make her a superhero, make her Spider Woman? Like it, I, I see the I... logic there, you know? Oh, totally. No, no, no it, it makes perfect sense. Like. I was going to say, like, when you were talking about just simply, you know, they were thinking of ways to bring her back. Like, in my head, I was like, well, of course. Like, <laughs> like why would you not want more of her? Mm-hmm. I'm just totally, totally knocked over the head by that, that, that idea. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's ah, almost like it was. Wow. I wonder what their version of Gwen Stacy Spider-Woman looks like. Right. I know. And I'm sure they didn't get that far, but like, Whoa. Yeah. Was she privy to that? Emma Stone? Yeah. Probably. I'm sure they were in talks with her about it. If if they were serious about this, if this went far enough along, they would have tried to lock her down, you know? My God. Yeah. It's fascinating. And it's like, it's funny that like that idea of turning Gwen Stacy into a superhero was clearly in the air in general. You know, like I think, I think that the Amazing Spider-Man movies in particular, in addition to just, like, everyone recognizing, like, women in refrigerators and, like, giving women better roles, Mm -hmm. like, I think it almost feels like it coalesces in this Gwen Stacy situation. Like, the girl that is only known to die, who then it's sort of, like, they're forced to kill her in a movie, even though she's, like, one of, like, the thing that people love the most about it (laughs) Uh that, like, keeps those movies going. And it's sort of, like, what if... This wasn't the only thing people knew of her. What if we could have kept her in the movies? It's it's funny that like everyone finally recognized like maybe it's better to just not kill the women and just give her more to give them more to do. Yeah, you know. Yep, yep. Maybe it was actually a shitty thing to to be like, hey, this character is too popular, so we got to kill them to make people feel something. Right. Huh. Right. Whoa, what a concept. <laughs> yeah. Fucking I just, fascinating. My brain is fucking broken right now. <laughs> like I'm just because I'm just like imagining like. The, the, you know, we've talked so many times because we're talking about the movies that never were, but like just the universe that exists where that actually happened. I mean, and how much, how much does that affect everything else? Right. It's sort of like we wouldn't get the Tom Holland Spider-Man, which is a bummer, but then it's also like, would the, the crazy weird ass world that they were building, could that have actually been good or could it made a positive impact on superhero stuff? Like if they were trying to double down on a female-led movie, it actually sort of makes sense that a female superhero team movie, which is not a thing that existed until literally, like, just now with Birds of Prey, like, literally just now, like, it almost makes sense that they might have done that first because they were stretched so thin with the characters they could use and so desperate to build their cinematic universe that they would have been like, well, let's try to do something different, something that would catch attention. Yeah, let's do an all-girls movie with Emma Stone leading it. It makes sense that that actually would, that seems more likely to have happened than any of the other female-led movies that we never got and that we're barely just now starting to get now, you know? Well, and, like, forget forget whether or not it could have worked and assume that it does, right? Yeah. Like, what? it's just wild to me what effect that would have on just the entire sort of, like, I, I, I don't know how long in the works Spider-Verse was. Yeah, I don't know if like, we would have gotten that if, if this all worked <laughs> well. Right? Because if it works out, then presumably the version of Gwen Stacy Spider-Woman from the movie gets its own comic adaptation. Right. And that's the version of Spider-Quote Spider-Gwen, who would never be called that, mm-hmm. is moving forward. It's just like a wild, absolutely bonkers thing to think about that yeah. that, that was... 
in theory so close to happening. (laughs) Yeah. Like close in that it was, it was an idea that was out there, which is farther than a lot of other ideas. Right. So, you know, (laughs) wasn't it the, the silver sable thing that, that isn't something we only know as a result of the leaks. Is it, wasn't that something that they had spoken openly about? Yeah. Being in development, at least the sort of like, uh, I don't know what exists before development or if, if there's a different term for it. But like, that's something they talked about wanting to do. They've that's that's been Silver Sable thing has been in the works for a long time. It's still currently talked about because in this iteration of the universe, like post Amazing Spider-Man, they wanted to do a silver and black movie with Silver Sable right. and Black Cat. That was the yeah. newest iteration of it that is still out there but like for some reason they just keep not doing it and i don't understand i'm i'm really surprised that they're not trying to capitalize on like the female-led thing after captain marvel made a lot of money yeah you know wonder Wonder Woman made a lot of money i feel like we've broken the barrier now like there's still work to be done about female superheroes a lot of it but we've broken the barrier of the argument that female superheroes aren't marketable because we have proven that they are now. So I'm surprised that that still isn't happening. I'm surprised that they're not like, okay, cool. Well, we're going to do ours. And now you can, now you can say that we're also woke as shit too. So come on, you know, like I'm surprised that even cynically, they're not trying to capitalize on that. Sure. Sure. It's just, it's wild to me because we know that they sort of like pushed forward the amazing Spider-Man in the wake of, the Spider-Man 4 fallout or whatever, but Mm -hmm. it's wild to me that some of these other things that they've been put like tossing around haven't been pushed forward. And it just, it's so weird because like what's happening over there? Like what is happening over there? That's preventing these projects from moving forward because, you know, in the wake of um, the sort of uh, fallout between Disney and Marvel, that temporary fallout, not Disney mm-hmm. and Marvel, um, Disney and Sony, rather. Everybody was like, oh, no, Sony making Spider-Man movies. That's the worst thing. And I, I remember you and I being like, actually, like, they made good Spider-Man movies. Like, please don't forget that they are capable of making Spider-Man movies. Yeah. So it's, like, easy to think, like, oh, no, like, the reason Sony's not making these things is because they have no idea what they're doing. But we know they don't have no idea what they're doing. They have some semblance of an idea of what they're doing. Yeah. So it's just, it, it's such a bizarre mystery to me that some of these things that have been talked about for so long just simply don't exist. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, and we're saying all this as bo- both of us are on the record for not really being that into Venom. So it's like yeah. not Sony stands here by any stretch of the imagination, but they definitely have potential to do something. And I think a lot of this stuff, I definitely wrote it off because it all sounded fucking stupid to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I wasn't really that all into the Amazing Spider-Man movies, but like in retrospect now, it's just fascinating, like, the what could have been are really interesting. And it's also, like, because of the fragmented state of Spider-Man being owned by Marvel and then a lot of Spider-Man stuff being owned by Sony, um, or it's not owned by Marvel, the, the weird partnership right. thing. That's condensing it. I know there's more to it, so don't come at me, Mar- MCU stands. But <laughs> there's more to it than that. But the, the idea of that Spider-Man can appear in Marvel movies, some of his villains can, but not all of them can. Some of them can appear in Sony, but not all, all of them can makes it harder to do like Spider-Man movies in the way that you kind of want to do Spider-Man movies, you know, yeah. like, so it's, it's weird that we exist in this weird place. Cause I like homecoming and I like far from home a lot, mm-hmm. but for different reasons than I would like, like a Spider-Man movie with just like Spider-Man characters in it. So it's just a weird place that we exist in where like, there could be an alternate universe where there is just every Spider-Man character you'd ever want <laughs> is yeah. appearing in this, in this universe of Spider-Man. So I don't know. 
And I don't know what would be better or worse. Like, I can't argue. I can't argue for what would be better or worse. All the Sony stuff could have fucking collapsed. It seemed like they stopped it because it was on the road to collapsing, right? I was going to say, kind of did. I guess we don't technically know that it did, but that's what it feels like. It's the reason that I get skeptical about Sony's plans for the Into the Spider-Verse universe. It seems like they were a little too big for their britches and, you know, Amazing Spider-Man 2 wasn't a gigantic hit. Mm-hmm. It's not that it didn't make any money, but it's you know wasn't enough of a hit that I think that made it worth it. And I think that they they got a little scared, and Marvel offered them a deal that they couldn't refuse. Yeah. So Ugh. I it's so bizarre. It's it's so weird. It is it's so weird. Yeah, it's just uh, like ideally all of Spider-Man stuff would just be owned by one company. Well, no, I don't know. No, I just, ideally, I we would have gotten conclusive <laughs> final installments I think for that, both that's, that's the Raimi situation and the web situation. Honestly, like, if I could if I could have one modest wish granted, sure. it would simply be The Amazing Spider-Man 3 to conclude that. And I would at least feel like I have some closure. That's true. Over the pre-Holland years. You know what I mean? There's just something so unfinished that will forever eat away at me. <laughs> so much, yeah, there's so much stuff that's set up. Yeah, I think I agree with that. It's like a TV show getting canceled. rather Because, yeah. you know, the Raimi trilogy, I'm comfortable with that ending where it was because it's not like there were a lot of threads left hanging. Like, say right. whatever you will about Spider-Man 3, but it was sort of functioning as the end of a trilogy in the types of threads that it closes, right? Mm-hmm. It's not leaving stuff hanging. I'm a, I'm comfortable with that just being the trilogy in the same way that the Nolan trilogy is like one solid three movie series. Right. You can argue whether or not the Dark Knight Rises was good or a good finale for it, but it was a finale and you feel comfortable like never getting a Nolan Batman movie again and moving on to the next one because it's sort of like you've told your story and you're done. Yeah, so yeah. We got it. Yeah, it's sort of like if there was at least one closing chapter that at least closed off some of the threads, at least like had like yeah. a fi- felt like a final character arc for Peter, because that's the down the big downside to going at movies from the idea of them being a cinematic universe or only setting up future stuff yeah. is that in a situation like this, where if you don't get that future stuff, you don't get a complete story, even though you've gotten two complete movies. You know. Yep. I don't feel like we got a complete arc for Peter Parker because so much of it was based on like what he's going to do next and like what the true secrets of his parentage are and stuff like that. Like (sighs) we don't get complete (laughs) stories anymore from movies when, when they're big franchises like this, like, you know? Yeah. Oh, and there's a, there's a, there is a small part of me that's also just like, generally sad for andrew garfield because i yeah. do think people forget how much he enjoyed being peter parker and spider-man he, did. he was a good spider-man like yeah you can hate on the movies all you want i think that there's plenty of criticisms about him but yeah andrew garfield isn't one of them he had a particular version of peter parker not necessarily the most traditional version but his version was a version that he was really committed to that i think worked in those movies i yeah. think he did a great job at it so yeah you know it sucks and it's a bummer because he was like fired for dumb reasons too like, I think that even before the stuff collapsed, like, I think that was just kind of like the nail in the coffin. But like, he was, the emails revealed he was just fired because he like didn't come to like a party or something like a major Hollywood party. And like the Sony execs were mad at him for it. Idiotic. So they were going to get back at him. It's bullshit. So it's like, yeah, I feel bad for him. He seems like a really good guy, honestly. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. <sighs> So that's a bummer. You know, none of that stuff <laughs> happened when Marvel broke the deal. So that's that's really the end 
currently of the canceled Spider-Man projects, like you said, there is certainly going to be more of them considering how like a million Spider-Man related movies get green light at any given time. And most of yeah. them don't happen. So, well, they've already announced development for two different into the Spider-Verse movies. One of uh-huh. which is the sequel, which we will absolutely see the sequel that I, yeah. I am a hundred percent confident about the other of which is the all female version yeah don't hold uh, your breath for that one i'd love it I'm, but don't I'm hold not, your breath for it <laughs> i'm not i feel confident that part five will probably be that one <laughs> yeah unfortunately there's also a craven the hunter movie potentially if he's not in spider-man three amazing or, uh, amazing i listen to every spider-man three but the real <laughs> spider-man three the third the third holland movie if he's yeah. not in that one they want to do a craven the hunter solo movie obviously another venom movie that is going to happen but i'm sure they're going to try to do some venom spin-offs that aren't going to happen that silver mm-hmm. and black movie is announced but probably not going to happen so we'll see i think they're trying uh, to do sinister six again too at some point so we'll, we'll see i just uh yeah 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 <laughs> movies are so weird now there's movies such a so... large spider-man movie graveyard right it's I guess wild. like Batman and Superman have pretty large uh, movie graveyards as well, right? They do, but not as much because all of their canceled movies have always been Superman movies and Batman movies. Like they didn't have extensive spinoffs. That's true. Yeah. There's dead DCEU movies, I guess, but mm-hmm. not necessarily all tied to those single characters That's in the true. way that Spider-Man's is. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know that makes sense. It's not yeah. like there's like a dead Bizarro movie next to a dead Parasite movie next right. to a dead Lois Lane spinoff trilogy. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's what the Spider-Man universe feels like. <laughs> Which is so fucking weird. It's so weird. It is yeah. so weird. Man. Get a new property, Sony. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So that was that was uh, that was an experience. That was fun, though. I, I really appreciate all the work you put into that. Like, holy Thank shit, you. dude. Thank you. I'm sure. That was a lot. What's funny is that I'm sure, because, you know, obviously, like I said, I didn't read all the emails. I didn't really read the Spider-Man 4 script outline because there's enough stuff out of out there about it. I already read two bad scripts that were hard to read. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, so I'm sure some of this information, like the thing is a lot of the stuff, you know, like we said, it's based on like random interviews and like emails and like rumors. So like some of the stuff might not actually be true, but I think a good portion of it is for, I'm talking for like all of the movies that exist. Yeah. 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 But I think a good portion of it is, and I think it's a good view into how filmmakers and executives think, you know, we all know how they clash, but I think it's a really good view into like, like I said in one of the earlier episodes, just how close every movie is to utter disaster at any given time. (laughs) And we should just be thankful for the miracle of filmmaking that we get so many movies that actually get made and released and finished and aren't total dumpster fires every time. It is amazing that in the model that we have for filmmaking now for like studio filmmaking Uh, that any movie happens ever. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That, yeah, that, that should be the moral of this, right? (laughs) Yes. Thankful that any movie ever gets made. (laughs) Uh, Let's go around the room and I'll say a movie where thankful got made. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) Venom. Spider-Man 3. (laughs) Oh, 
yes, very much thankful for both of those movies. <laughs> I am very thankful for Spider-Man 3 because that has given me so much to be insane about in my life. Yeah, yeah. You didn't even mention in the last episode uh, your your <laughs> scholarship on Spider-Man 3. Do you want to uh, mention there. it now that we're sort of concluding the series? Sure. If you want to hear me talk more about versions of movies that didn't happen and then the version that did and, and just like a lot of theses and hypotheses on it. I did like an almost 40 minute video on Spider-Man 3 last year on my YouTube channel, Second Chance, that I plug at the end of every episode of our show. Yes. Um, that I don't know I don't know when the Spider-Bite's going to end up coming out. And I'm always like, hopefully there'll be a new episode by the time you listen to this. And there never is. <laughs> They're in production. They just go very slowly because I do too much other stuff. Um, well, wh- go watch the Spider-Man 3 one because I, I did watch it. It's very good. And while I can't say that I am at the point yet where I praise Spider-Man 3, <laughs> watching that video pretty much stopped me from being like a dick about spider-man 3 so uh it it provided new perspective in a very 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 helpful intelligent way so thank you i'm uh, glad it's very good that's the goal i don't think it's a yeah i still can't say that i like the movie but i love the movie at the same time (laughs) yeah no that (laughs) makes sense yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) yeah so yeah Yes. At the time of recording, we just had somebody ask us on Twitter, can you hate something with all of your heart and love it like passionately or something like that at the same time? And I was mm-hmm. like, definitely. Absolutely. Yes. You can hate and love something at the same time. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> definitely. Definitely important for a relationship with Spider-Man for a property and character as yeah. rocky as Spider-Man. <laughs> yes, yes. It's necessary. <laughs> yes, very so. necessary. Well, thank you guys for all your support and thank you for joining us on this wild adventure that all four parts I think are going to end up totaling what, like three, and, three and a half, and half hours? hours. <laughs> yep. Yay! Yeah. I guess <laughs> definitely more than uh, our usual spider bite content. So yeah. I don't know if we're even call. I guess we'll, we've been calling it spider still, bite over and over again. So we're going to have to, <laughs> I still think we should call it spider bite. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, cool. It's just a series. Yeah. Yeah. We do whatever we want on Patreon. You guys yeah. are on Patreon. We do whatever we want. Hopefully you like it. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I, yeah. Give us feedback. What you thought of this. Cause this is a very different format than normal. So yes. let us know what you thought and what you learned and what your theoretical favorite canceled Spider-Man movie. Would have been, <laughs> well, wait, okay. What's your, what's your favorite canceled Spider-Man movie? Um, I, <laughs> you're going to hate me. The James Cameron movie. I still really wish I could have seen that made. <laughs> I don't think it would have been good, and I think it would have thrown the entire history of superhero movies off on a terrible foot. But I do think it – well, no. I think it would have been good. I think it just would have been different from the script that we got. I think that he could have made a very good Spider-Man movie. It just would have required a lot of tweaking from the script. And I like the core of it and some of the interesting ideas that he was going for, and I think – A 90s Gen X cynical view on what a superhero movie would have been would have been really interesting because I don't think we ever got that during that era. Yeah. And I think that if you're going to do a, like, Reality Bites Spider-Man, <laughs> or a, a Reality Bites superhero movie, I should say, Spider-Man is the character to do it with because he does, is representative of youth. So Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. I'm, gl- I'm glad you turned that around because I was going to say, like, that would have been, of the canceled movies we've talked about, probably still the 
best of them. I, like, yeah, it still would maybe have been not my favorite. It's but definitely the best of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. He James Caron can't make a bad movie. I think he can make a weird movie and a divisive movie, but he can't mm-hmm. make a flat out bad movie, even when it's a scriptment as troubling <laughs> as the one that he wrote. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about <sighs> you? I think my favorite would have to be the one that absolutely shattered my entire psyche, <laughs> which is the one that brings back Gwen Stacy as Spider-Woman prior to Gwen Stacy being Spider-Woman. Yeah, that would have been fucking amazing. <sighs> Even if it was a bad movie, just seeing Emma oh, yeah. Stone like kicking ass as Spider-Woman Ugh. on a, a female-led team would be so cool. Wow. I just, uh, that's all I'm going to think about for the rest of eternity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, if you'd like to hear more like this episode, join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers and check out our Discord. There's a link in the show notes. If you'd like more from Derek or me, you can find us all over the place uh, on the internet. Derek, where can people find you and the things you are working on? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens. What about you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can also listen to me on another podcast here on the Four Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road. It's a Pokemon podcast where I get together with my friends to talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And if you like books or video games or both, listen to me over on Novel Gaming where my friends Katie and Vicky and I get together and catch up on all the media we have been consuming lately. As always, you can check out our monthly podcast, Falling With Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon where Derek and I watch every Every Pixar film chronologically. Our special one-year retrospective on the first 12 Pixar films is out right now wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com. Follow Walloping Web Snappers on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Walloping Web Pod, or email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on all podcast platforms, because if you like what we're doing, someone else will too, and those ratings and reviews make us much easier to find. Next week... We return to the 90s series with the third season premiere, which feels very relevant to the upcoming Spider-Man film. It's called The Sins of the Fathers, Chapter 1, Doctor Strange. See you then. See ya. Yeah, I mean, no, I think they, the, so the, oh, shit, hold on. What the fuck are you doing? Oh, what was I saying? Jesus Christ. Uh, you you hadn't you... really started anything. I just said, okay. uh, gosh, what did I say? <laughs> shit.